Good morning, everybody. This is my third third open for the show today. I think it must be the second Monday of the week. Um, so I started the show this morning, except I forgot to hit the button so that everybody would hear me. And I went through my open and then I realized Pittsburgh Power wasn't there for some reason. And then that kind of threw me off track. And then I got the right button pressed, except I forgot to unmute my own mic. So I went through a second open that nobody heard. Uh, although, Aaron, you might want to pay attention. It's probably, no, I don't know if it'll be on the recording or not. Probably not. Um, yeah, it's uh, kind of a goofy morning, the second Monday of this week. Uh, I think we've got Pittsburgh Power in. I don't see Bruce yet. I think they're trying to get Bruce. I should probably just bring these guys in since I seem to be very ill-prepared for the open of the show this morning. Uh, Pete, Leroy, good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Uh, obviously not that great if you uh, judge it by my performance this morning. Yeah, we all have those days. I, I should, you know, I hit Sometimes the button. I thought I hit the button, but I guess I didn't. And I started talking and then I looked up and realized that nobody was on yet. You guys are Bruce. So I just started talking about stuff. And then the team was saying, nobody's hearing you. So I remembered, oh, I got to go back and press that button. But then I forgot to unmute my mic. So I did the whole thing the second time that nobody heard. And now I'm not even going to bother. We're just going to start the show. Okay, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All I was really going to talk about while we were waiting for people, looks like Bruce is coming in now too, um, was the fuel price. So I'll bring Bruce in and we'll all just get started on this. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. It's been a... Just, uh, had, a just had a meeting with some snap-on dealers and they're all going to gasoline engines in their snap-on trucks because of emission problems. So there is a company that makes these trucks up in Wisconsin. I'm going to try to get a hold of them and introduce them to the max mileage because uh, like this one guy said, he starts his truck in the morning and it runs for 10 solid hours before he shuts it off again. And oh he's boy. tired of fighting emissions. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a big market. You know, I wonder... How they're doing with the package vans. You know, when um, when FedEx home delivery started, which was a, a brand new service, FedEx Ground was the independent contractor packages. FedEx Overnight was the purple and red like it had always been. And they started home delivery. And I was working really closely with FedEx then. Or, yeah, it was FedEx then. I was doing um, videos for them to help their, their new contractors with things. And I got heavily involved and I had to stop. They wanted me to come in and, and help like new people set up these home delivery routes. And they were just hiring people out of want ads. You know, it's not like they were hiring drivers. They were just hiring people that applied for a delivery job and then found out they had to buy a van and own a business. And it was right when the sprinters were becoming popular. And I said, this is the perfect vehicle for these guys. They'll last forever. They get really good fuel economy for a van that can carry this much stuff. This is really, they're high quality. This is the way to go. And FedEx Home Delivery said no. Wouldn't let them use Sprinters. Do you know why? German owned? They, no. They didn't want diesels in the neighborhood. 
Oh, you're kidding me. Can you believe that? I never even thought of it. I'm like, why not? I, I guess that yeah. old impression that they're noisy and dirty, but they're not today. I mean, the sprinters aren't noisy yeah. or dirty, but they, in the beginning, now eventually they allowed it. But I, I was saying, you're screwing these guys, their best possible vehicle for this job, and you're not going to let them use this. Yeah, absolutely. Corporate America's tough. Yeah, yeah, sure is. So one of the things I was going to talk about this morning was um, fuel prices again. You know, they, they were up, and then they started coming down every day, and we were talking about it. And, and then we kind of stopped talking about fuel price. And then I realized, you know, it seems like it's been going up every day. And I paid attention to it. It's $4.38 a gallon. Diesel national right now. Any other time, that's all we would be talking about. This time, it seems like it's no big deal. Amazing. I don't see anybody even commenting about it. Social media, I'm not really seeing much being said about it. Any other time when we go above $4 a gallon and stay there, it's all we would be talking about in this industry. Uh, I think I think we're all fed up with um, the political aspect of this country, both sides. I think so. Um, I, I think we've had enough. And uh, it's just... You know, I, I don't... I was driving by this morning. I saw a lot of restaurants out of business now. Yeah. Two, three years ago, they were thriving. So it's... Even restaurants are suffering. You know, I don't want to make it too political this morning, and I've been staying away from politics and news, but what, with what happened yesterday, uh, I, I don't know what the future of this country is. When you've got a, a former president and now the, by far, the most popular candidate to be the Republican nominee, and the other side uses the Justice Department now or or these states. Now we're up to four separate cases, 90 some charges. I, this is just insanity. We can't run a country like That's this. Bullshit. Yeah, it's terrible. What, what's the Supreme Court doing? Aren't they supposed to be the Supreme and oversee well, all this BS? Yeah, but what has to happen is it has to make it through the courts first. And none of these have been tried yet. They're, they're all charged, but it would be a long time before they make it to the Supreme Court. So what would have to happen is we have to have a trial on one of these. And then if he's found guilty, then it has to be appealed to the circuit court and you got to go through the process to get to the Supreme Court. Then you have to wait for the Supreme Court to hear it. Now, something like this could, there are some emergency processes that could get it there quicker, but we're nowhere near right now, the Supreme Court even ruling on any of this. Oh, well, yeah, I got, I'm, I've got to hold back my comments. I, I, I know. I'm, just not sure we're, where we're going to go as a country right now. I've never seen anything like this. So, um, you know, I, I said I was just taking a break from the news because after a while, this stuff gets to you if you're reading it all day long. Sure. Uh, and I said, you know, you could skip a month and go back to the news and it's all the same. And normally that's true. That's, that doesn't seem to be true anymore. I, I was looking at some of the stuff going on in the news and I'm more shocked than ever. This is one of them. I can't believe this is where we are on this now. And, and, and where do we go here? You know what? If they stop him from being the nominee, I can't even imagine how what that's going to lead to. 
Right. I agree. And how do, the citizens, how do us citizens take back our country? How do we do it? You know, we've always been told you do it by voting, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. So what's now left? We have the Dominion machine. No, we have the Dominion machine in five different uh, states. Yeah, it's uh, okay. It's an interesting time. Let's. Uh, what do we have on? Uh, what do we have on trucks today? Anything interesting? Well, we have um, Charlie and who's the other guy? They have the contractor services. They help the Swift owner operators uh, become real owner operators and. Uh, Pete and I have done a couple seminars with them, and it's working. The guys are calling, and they're asking all the right questions, and they're interested in the diesel force cleaning and the catalyst. They're, they're most all using the catalyst, and uh, they want to know about torsional dampers and balancers and um, how to improve their truck and improve their bottom line. So it's, it's kind of nice. Good, good. like to see that. Yeah, I think it was two weeks ago. We Pete and I spent three hours with you and two hours that evening with them. Wow, it was five hours. <laughs> that's all day. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. So uh, that's that's what I have. I think Leroy is probably going to have some things on vibrations and things. So. All right, guys. Pete, Leroy, what do we got today? Leroy, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, so like Bruce said, um, talk a little bit about vibrations. So a few weeks ago, I don't remember if you can remember me talking about the vibration analysis equipment that we had. Do you remember this or no? I do, yeah. Okay, so been experimenting and practicing and trying new things with this analysis equipment, and I feel like I've gotten to a place where I understand it. It's sort of... It's fairly easy once you do the math and you understand how the equipment works and how to place the accelerometers and the microphones. So I feel like I'm at a good place with it. And now that I feel that way, we're sort of as like an introductory sort of offer to the service. We're offering basically free service when it comes just the time of figuring out the analysis. So if it takes us five hours to look at your truck and figure out what the vibration is using the tool, we're not going to charge you for that part. But then if we find a U-joint or an out-of-balance tire or something like that, then obviously that time and parts you'll have to pay for. It. But the main thing is a lot of people seem to let vibrations go on their truck. They learn to live with it or they put a lot of money into it and they're difficult to find. And I mean, we have struggled in the past with um, finding vibrations. And this new tool seems to make it fairly easy to at least pinpoint the a couple options of things that it could be based on the frequency of the vibration that's giving. So, um, yeah, right now with this introductory offer, uh, we're trying to get some trucks in here and try to find some vibrations that have been hard to find. And I will say that slots are filling up fast. I think we have multiple people already in. So the next couple of weeks, I think I'll have some stories about, uh, hopefully success stories about finding vibrations. That would be nice. That would be great. Yeah. And a lot of these are vibrations on new trucks that people spent a lot of money on trying to find. I'll bet. All right. Well, that's exciting. After that, you're going to have to tackle air leaks the same way. <laughs> hey, I can do that. There you go. Give me a problem. I'll, I'll try to find a way to tackle it. I like that. What else we got? 
I mean, that's kind of all that I had for this week. Um, what about you, Pete? Yeah, I just going to give you a rundown of what's going on in this shop. The, the shop's busy. Uh, more trucks than we have techs and almost more trucks than we have bays as well. The shop's been staying pretty busy, which is a good thing. Uh, we have a uh, 2021 579 ISX, 579P with an ISX with DPF issue we're looking into. Doing an in-frame on another ISX. It, it found it had a broken ring in it. It was using oil. And when we got the head off, we found a scored liner and we put the piston out. It had a broken ring. And that's something you don't see anymore. I mean, that was an issue. I remember when I first started here, that was an issue. Rings would break well, during assembly. A lot of people didn't have the correct ring compressor. We have the clamshell one, which makes it a lot easier. You still break them compared to the old ones that would wind up and uh, much easier to break those or ether. That was really common. People breaking rings, they, they would light their truck up in the wintertime with ether oh, yeah. and build a ton of cylinder break a ring. But you know, we don't see that anymore. That was the first time I've seen a broken ring that wasn't done at the time of a rebuild. You know, right. I've had guys call oil consumption and a, they pulled apart and someone broke a ring and it, that can happen. So we got that going on. Have a uh, 2014 glider with the Detroit. We got to cut back. The customer put uh, larger injectors in it. So with our program and the injectors, it was just too much horsepower. So we need to get that cut back. Uh, 2018 International with an ISX uh, manifold damper overhead DPF cleaning. Uh, the motorhome, we're finally getting that finished up. We had a customer bring a motorhome in with exhaust leaks and a bad air-to-air leak, which ran hot. He had no gauges, so he wasn't aware how hot he ran to where it damaged the exhaust manifold, broke a bunch of bolts. Oh, boy. Damaged the EGR. Yeah, it, it, it snowballed from a uh, exhaust leak to a, a pretty big project. And I think we waited eight or ten weeks to get a air-to-air from the manufacturer because no one made one for it, oh. which is – you ran into that with coaches. So we finally got gauges on it, and they, I think they went out for a road test. And it's still running a little warm on the pyrometer, and we're going to check the air cleaner and exhaust system and um, see why it's still – a little warmer than what we think it should be. But the coaches do have a tendency to run hot. Yeah, they do. Uh, sounds like my experience there. I was really shocked. I was lucky that, um, you know, my coach was in 07. And uh, we were looking for a charger cooler and having a really hard time finding. And then it dawned on me, hey, just call the factory and deal with them all the time. And I called them and they said, oh, yeah, it's a company right here in Oregon that makes them. Uh, I called them up and they said, we've got one and they put it on a plane and we had it in a couple of days. Yeah, definitely fortunate there because this one, like I said, the, the factory said six to eight weeks out. And so we started looking around and just no one made it. I, I don't know what the coach is. It's got a little 5.9 EGR oh, yeah. engine in it. So it'd be a 405 and uh, had a tough time getting a, you know, fortunately, it's, it's a, it's a motor home and it can sit. It's not like it's a customer's truck right. where he's trying to make a living with. Right. You know, I never <laughs> thought about it even, <laughs> you know, all, okay. all the years I've had it. I didn't think about it till I had to start working on it. How big the radiator and charger cooler are on that. For a 13 liter engine, the radiator and charger cooler are monster. I mean, I almost couldn't get the charger cooler in the parts van. I had to run down to the airport at Pittsburgh and pick it up. I almost couldn't get it in the parts van. It was so big. And then it, it dawned on me. It's because they have no airflow. They're at the back side of the coach and trying to get enough airflow back there is really tough. So they have to make everything so much bigger. And we're at the side. 
Yeah. The, Sometimes the, you're on the side. And, you know, yeah. yeah the this one for a 5.9 liter engine, the air to air was, was really large. Yeah. They're like you said, it needs huge. Yeah. Because you have no airflow when they, they have to get their air from the side of the vehicle instead of the front. So yeah, the, the coaches with the Freightliner chassis or the Peterbilt chassis really makes sense. You know, we're truck chassis with a coach behind it. Uh, in some ways, uh, you, you lose some things there. And, and, you know, this is the same thing I always talk about with the Prevost. The, the bus is the most popular high-end platform to build on the Prevo. I, I don't like it. There's a lot of downsides to that platform. The way they, the, the front end and the driver entrance is so low that they can't put the generator up there where it belongs. They put the generator on the side and it's most of them, it's towards the back. So you lose one big storage compartment and your generator's much closer to your bed when you're trying to sleep. So that's one thing I hate about that chassis. Just that alone, just losing one big compartment, having that generator back near where I'm sleeping, that's a problem. I like uh, Country Coach builds their own chassis and it's got the nice, you know, electric slide out, the whole generator slides out the front so you can work on it and you don't lose the bay back there. So uh, I just, I'd like that setup so much better. With the, the truck chassis setup is, is getting parts. I mean, it, it would be a, you know, Columbia front oh, yeah. end. So right. you can get, you know, rad air much more easier than you can with the coaches where they have someone making them, that the place is out of business or you know, they just don't stock them anymore, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was weird when I when uh, I was there and I was working on the front end, the leveling valve, and Bruce Shue and I climbed under there and couldn't put the safety plus on it because the front end's so odd. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, it's a, safety plus is a phenomenal, phenomenal I, tool. I was looking forward to having it. It's just uh, it, that that front end is such a weird <laughs> configuration, and that's Country Coach again. I like it. It's got a great ride. It handles nice, but. When you've got to work on it, it's uh, pretty weird sometimes. Speaking of which, since we're talking about my coach, uh, there's only two things left to do. They're replacing all the carpeting. They have to do some work on a slide, and then it's going to be out. What's the easiest way for me to get this thing retuned? Speaking of too much horsepower. Uh, The remote dealer is probably the easiest thing. Um, for you, we could probably send you a, a rental laptop and stuff, and we could just walk you through it. That might be easier depending on where you want to go. The other thing is you can mail it to ECM. That also would work. Let's say where, who we have in Oregon. Uh, the coach right now is down uh, in Junction City. It's near Eugene. Oregon? Yeah, Oregon. Okay. So in Oregon, we have Dallas, Oregon, Chiloquin, Applegate. Doesn't sound like anybody you I know. know. Anybody, sorry? No. There's a 971, and the other two are 541 area codes. Hmm. The f- okay. Yeah. I'll have to check. And, and where is your coach right now? What state? It's in or it's in Junction City, Oregon. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it's, it should be down there. So we have a couple more weeks, I would imagine. It's just those last two <laughs> things, and then. We've got to pick it up and go, we're going to go over to the coast and just spend a weekend in it to make sure everything's working before we hit the road. But we're probably going to be hitting the road like October 10th. 
Kevin, maybe you need to become a remote tuner. I, I was something just, to do in the afternoon. I, I was just thinking that I, I've always thought about it and wanted to do it. I, I don't know if I need one more thing to do in the afternoon. Well, actually, I know I don't, but I would still <laughs> enjoy it. So I, I have thought about that. Maybe you should just send me the laptop and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that it gives, it gives you a break from all your reading, a break from I know, telephones. You're right. You get to meet some wonderful owner-operators yeah. and sit in a truck with them and chat. And uh, so yeah. I know. I know. I've thought about it. So send me the stuff. We'll figure it out. Then I can just do my own. It'd probably be easier. All right. Cameron Rutherford's going to be a remote tune location. <laughs> it's a soft launch. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go with that. Interstate 84, right? Is it 84? Yeah. Interstate 84 at Cascade Locks, Oregon. And, you know, I've talked about it before. This You couldn't find an easier exit to get off of with a truck than Cascade Locks. It's like a giant rest area. If you're heading west on 84, you get off at 47, and it's this long, straight ramp and the ramp turns into Main Street in our town, and all you do is stay on it, and you'll get right back on 84 at the 44-mile marker. So it's like a long three-mile rest area right through town, and then you're right back on 84 again. That's how easy it is. And not only that, when they stop at your place, they can load up on catalysts, and they can load up on their healthy foods. That's right. Nut butters and monkey brittle and mackerel, all that good stuff. I know it makes sense, so I guess we should do it. Okay. All right. Hey, Roy. So, hey, the two fellows that have this contractor's corner for Swift is Jeffrey um, Morton and Charlie Mahan, or Mahon. And uh, they do a really nice job helping these new guys. new to trucking get started i love seeing that we need more of that so i'm glad you're helping them out all right let's get to some phone calls phone lines are open 855-950-3835 if you have anything at all any question about maintenance engines performance fuel mileage modifications upgrades troubleshooting emissions you name it all you have to do is pick up the phone and join us and with fuel at uh, 438 a gallon, you should be doing everything you can to control those fuel and maintenance costs. And those two things many times go together. Same things we do a lot of times to improve fuel economy, also improve maintenance costs. So call us up. We'll talk about it. Let's get started in California. Voitech, welcome. Hey, good morning. Uh, so I was wondering this morning at 8 o'clock on the dot when I heard the silence, is Kevin fidgeting with cables or is he talking to himself? I was totally I talking to myself. <laughs> uh, all right. Twice. Well, I got a, I got an issue with my... Uh, twice, yeah. <laughs> twice. Uh, I got an issue with my Volvo emission system. Uh it's a 2010 Volvo, and about 38,000 miles ago, beginning of the year, I replaced the EGR and the seventh injector, and everything was fine for about 28,000 miles, and then I started getting uh, 
codes and issues with emissions, and it wouldn't regen. So I figured, okay, uh, something's up. Filter needs to be cleaned. So I went to DPF Alternatives and had my filter cleaned, and that solved everything for about 1,500 miles. And at that point, I started having region issues again and more code, this time for the NOx sensor. It did not derate me, and I could not find the NOx sensor where I was. So I got back to my home shop, so to speak, and did the EGR and the seventh injector, and they said, okay, well, you got to replace the NOx sensor. So the NOx sensor got replaced. But that still didn't solve the problem because they said, now you have codes for the seventh injector. I'm like, what are you talking about? The seventh injector is pretty much brand new. Yeah, but it's, you know, you, you got to replace the seventh injector again. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Isn't it under warranty? It's only been, you know, like 30,000 miles since we replaced the injector or something, right? Oh, no, uh, we've been having this issue a lot. The manufacturer will not warranty, most likely, uh, because they will say that something in the fuel system plugged it up. Like, well, that makes no sense. I have a fast system, and so I have better than stock filtration. And what do you mean they're not going to honor the warranty just because, they, I mean, how can you say that, that that's, you know, just something plugged it up and your part is not at fault. That's a pretty good way to just get out of, you know, having warranty issues. If, and if you're saying that it's a common problem, then it's definitely the part uh, fault, not a fuel system fault. Uh, but they said they, I mean, we can try, but I would have to buy the new seventh injector, either put it on myself or have them do it, and then we'll see what the manufacturer says as far as the warranty. Uh, and I'm, at this point, I just want to take a sawzall to everything past the turbo. I don't know what to do and what else could it be other than the seventh injector. I mean, it's hard to say without like, you know, um, what's the fault code that keeps coming up? What's, what's it for? They tell me it's the seventh injector and well, they did a diagnostic. Is it like the yeah. injector? I mean, Jordan. Jordan. Hi, Leroy. Jordan worked with a fleet that had all these older Volvos, and he was talking about that seventh injector issue. That's, that's he, okay. Yeah, he responded to on Kevin's site, and basically that was a problem they ran into where they simply wouldn't warrant it. And your SOL. So this is something. This is not something new. Jordan's been with us for quite a while, so this has been a problem going on with. Uh, that seventh injector for quite a while, and they're just not fixing it. But what's causing, is it the failure of the part of the, the seventh injector itself, or is it something else that is causing the failure of the part, and that's just a symptom? I have, an I do know of another truck, I do know of another truck that had similar issues, and then the turbo was replaced, and ever since the turbo was replaced, all the problems went away, and the truck is running much better, and the driver says better than it was new. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be just throwing parts at it and see what sticks. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's an engine we just don't have experience with. You know, Why not? We, we hear um, Volvo's tough to deal with. I, you know, we can't get into their software. Okay. We won't sell you the tools you need to. Like, if I need a tool to pull an injector out of a CAD or a Cummins or Detroit, you just go online and buy one. You can't do that with Volvo or Mercedes. 
you got to buy everything through a dealer. If you're not a dealer, um, they won't sell you the part or they won't sell you the tools. So then you can't do the part yourself. So we just don't bother with those engines because we just can't. They, they lock it down. You're forced to go back to them and then put up their bullshit. Unfortunately. Maybe you should become a Volvo dealer. And I don't know how easy that would be. Not sure what would be involved in that. Yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah, there's not much. So, so you know, you have any experience with that engine for to help you out. So basically, I'm either replacing seventh injectors every thirty thousand miles, or however often it happens, or I take a sawzall to it, delete it, and you hey, know, Voitech? deal with it that way. Have Have you contacted yeah. any of the shops? that we've identified the Volvo shops. There's a couple of them around the country. I have not just because when this happens, I'm either in the mountains of Colorado yeah. with no cell reception, or I'm either somewhere where the shops are nowhere close. I know there is, I think it's in Ohio and Wisconsin. I'm going to try to make my way towards Wisconsin, but I'm, you know, uh- I'm in California right now, and I gotta get this replaced because it's costing me a lot of money in extra fuel because the stupid thing wants to regen every thirty minutes, I, uh, I, and it's, I'm getting bad fuel mileage. I, I think I would be heading to Wisconsin with this one. I think I'd at least get it to a dealer that's that's known, you know, to work that's with it. owner operators, work with these engines, and we've gotten a lot of good reports on that shop. So I, I think I'd be heading that way. Yeah, it's going to have to be my next move. I'm going to replace the 7th injector just because so, I'm going to burn more than $700 of extra fuel Yeah, driving with a bad 7th injector, then that's going to save me. So, All right. All right, thanks. You're welcome. Um, you know, I, I was watching kind of an informal poll on uh, social media the last week or so about, uh, and then I threw out a, a question about, you know, what, have your shop experiences been like in the last, you know, six months or this year? Uh, it wasn't good. The feedback I got was just awful on, on shops. You can't get in. Um, when you do get in, they can't seem to get anything fixed right. They can't get parts sometimes. It, I did not get any positive responses whatsoever. And I didn't see any positive responses. It was all, all even more negative than I thought it would be. So and parts it, are still a problem. I, I thought by now would be through the, the parts issue, but we're still having parts with issues getting parts for some engines, and it's random. Yeah, it's not like it's it, only Detroit. It's not only ISX. It could be, oh, I got a rebuild kit for this ISX engine, but I couldn't for the next, and I got a set of injectors for this Detroit, but now I can't get them for this Detroit. Um, completely random, but we're still having issues more than I expected to have. That seems to be the state of the whole repair industry right now is the feedback I've got is it's just kind of a mess. And that, that, you know, coach, unfortunately we, we did it outside. So we didn't tie up a bay, but it was backed up against the building, but it, you know, it was down for eight or 10 weeks waiting for parts. Well, mostly the air to air. We had other issues, but the air to air took the longest. Well, that was, you know, when, when I was on the road last time and so many things started to go wrong and, you know, I, I was more than willing to put it in a shop and let somebody else do it. I just couldn't find anybody. I, mean, I just could not find anybody I trusted to work on it. I ended up doing all that work myself, then put it in the shop when I got back here. Um, and if it's bad with trucks, it's really bad with RVs. 
I mean, trying to get any kind of work done on these things anymore is just getting really tough. I'm, I'm glad I have the factory here and I'm glad I can do some of this stuff myself. And I'm shocked how bad the quality of the RVs are. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. One of the guys, uh, Gary, that, that retired from here, that worked here, has a, a new fifth wheel, 10 months old, um, went through six microwaves, oh. one refrigerator. Uh, they recently had to pull up both the slide in the bedroom and in the kitchen because they weren't closing right. That's there bad. There was uh, support left wasn't uh, put on from the factory. Uh, the quality control is atrocious. You know, that's interesting. The quality control on the the lower end of the market has always been really, really bad. You know, they, they on the lower end of the market, they're trying to make these things super light so they can be pulled with almost anything. And they make them as cheap as possible because people aren't, you know, they're, they're going to take it down. They're going to park it at the lake for the summer and they go spend weekends in it. And it's always been an issue. Now it is just atrocious. I mean, it, it is awful. So you can go onto the lots and look at new units that just have all kinds of obvious problems. See, when I bought my 1998 Newmark Country Air Pitbull, I had zero problems. I that was a quality build. One, I had one gear in the bedroom slide-out strip. I called the people that made the... Gear drive, and they sent me the gear. I put it in. It was about a three-minute fix, and I think I had one heater fail at one time, and that was not Newmar; that was the medic. And but that was it. Yeah, and I drugged that thing with that Kenworth all over North America. Yeah, that was it. That was a quality build. That's hard to find anymore. The the yeah. uh, quality on these things has gotten awful, and the work is just you know we're <laughs> we're seeing it across the board. It's just you can't get good customer service or good work done anywhere anymore. The, the, you know, we've always talked about having relationships with a shop if you're an owner-operator. That just keeps getting more and more important. Hey, Pete, why don't you talk about the uh, – Kevin, do we have any calls right now? Uh, we've got – yeah, we've got a couple we could go to, but if we've got something to talk about, we could do that too. We had a very interesting army truck in – last week and he bought an army trailer and he made it a, a pit wheel rv so he does a lot of tours apparently there's a group that caravan with these old army vehicles and had a big cam 400 in it and now it's 613 or 615 horsepower nice so he's in the diner yeah, made some serious horsepower. And this is the one we, we had a picture on your site, Kevin. Oh, yeah. You said you were familiar with trucks. Yeah. We got that up sometime last week and dynoed it, and I wasn't here for the dyno. But it came out with some serious horsepower. He doesn't he take it to Alaska and does something with trucks in distress? That's what I was told. He, if someone's um, stuck, he can pull them out. He'll pull them out. Oh, nice. And that, that is the ideal vehicle for that. Yeah. Was this a six-wheel drive? I think it was a six-wheel drive. But the cab was actually pretty nice inside. He and his wife put 80-some thousand miles on it. Nice. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get to some calls because they're coming in. 855-950-3835 if you want to join us. 
Ted, north of the border. We're going to go to Alberta. Ben, welcome. Hey, Ben, come back to your phone. Ben? All right, I'm going to put Ben back in the queue. Uh, Angie, see if we can uh, figure out what he's doing there. Let's go to Indiana. Brandy, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so last week I called with a call regarding Catalyst and the Lucas um, injection thing together. And um, I've been going back and forth with Jane and Bruce, and I ta- ended up talking to Jane. Jane says I should call back with sort of a testimony, so to speak. Um, so uh, this started uh, when I first learned about the Catalyst, that I, I contacted um Bruce, and I thought this would be a good fit for the Penske trucks where we lease from. And he contacted that guy and he said, no, we have our own way of doing things. So uh, cut to uh, about a month ago or longer, I broke down in Fresno with a D-rate engine. And I believe that uh, the Penske as well as my company, we're going to come to the rescue. Well, I discovered, I found out through Penske that what they do is, um, well, back, so when they told uh, Bruce what they did, they send their their filter away and they have it cleaned. So I believe that, that they had filters waiting to be automatically put back in when they went bad, and that wasn't true. And so... Um, they had told me that I was going to be out. Bad news was I was going to be out of this truck for a couple of days. And my company says, well, we'll get you back in your truck. So I go back to Penske and say, uh, no, we didn't say that at all. So I'm basically out on my own without a truck for, and I live in my truck. I have been for the longest time and have been doing that ever since my career, just make a home out of it. So my feeling as a company driver, when you are kicked out of your home, you don't necessarily have to be. So when your company basically throws you under the bus and Penske doesn't give a crap either, then you take matters into your own hand, and that's what this forced me to do. It's like, okay, well, then I will. I decided to take the same catalyst and put it into my own truck, and it had the, the engine light on, and then it went out, and it took less than a month. I took, I just basically, the peace of mind that came by putting this in, the testimonies of the drivers that say this works, and then hearing a while back that this um, Lucas uh, injection stuff would even make it better. So I put some of them, that in last week, and I'm going to do that every time I get a oil and service change, and I've been using the catalyst on a regular basis. I solved the problem. Well, not I don't think I physically solved it, but it's, it's highly... It smells horrible. <laughs> it's bad, you know, it's bad and worse than diesel. It really clings in the air. So the best way to do it is put it in glass. And I put it in four uh, jelly jars at four ounces. Every 100 gallons, I put in four ounces. And I, I just, I have confidence now that when I'm driving and in this lease Penske company truck, I, I feel that they're not going to take it away from me unless, you know, it's out of, it reaches its mileage. But at least I have the option to say, I've done everything I can to make it run well, um, other than, you know, crappy roads and what have you. So that's more or less my testimony. And I just would suggest that as a company driver, when you are living in your truck and you are always worried that 
there goes your home. You're going to get into a loner, and you don't know how long. And then what, what stuff you leave, what, what stuff you take. It reminds me of that, um, oh, I can't think of his name, but taking more stuff, a little more stuff, a little more stuff until you're, it's everywhere. That's everything. That's my testimony. So, so hey, do you, does your phone number begin with 309? Yes, it does. So that was you that sent me those pictures of putting the yeah. catalyst in the jar. Okay. You didn't put any message in that. I thought, okay, except well, one to me. I don't, re- <laughs> I don't remember everything. <laughs> yeah, but I finally figured it out. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you, you bought these jelly jars, or like, uh, yeah, like what our parents used to can food in, like I think the Rutherfords canned food in. And what yeah. do they call ball? Is that a ball jar? Mason and, jars, well, some probably of them are ball, more common. Some of them are cur. Yeah. And is that, do they have the two piece? Do they yeah. have the two, two piece lid? Yeah. It, yes, they and do. You, and, you, and you don't get any smell with that, right? No, I don't get any smell. They're right underneath yeah. my bunk. I don't smell anything. Yeah. In, the, in that plastic is what is the worst thing. You By know, the way, I don't smell the catalyst. I, I hardly ever smell it. It's got to be spilled right in front of me. I don't. I, don't I keep it in the trunk of my car, and uh, it's horrible. <laughs> now, see, I have <laughs> it in the trunk of every car, and then even in my motorcycle, I'm, I don't notice it. So I do use yeah, a. Um, well. I do use a glass mason jar when I carry it, but I switch out those two-piece lids for a one-piece plastic. Much more, much easier to deal with than the two pieces. Those make me crazy. They're fine for canning. That's what they're designed yeah. for. But you can buy all kinds of replacement lids. I've, I have some stainless steel um, that I really like. The problem with the stainless steel is the threads are close enough that they'll work on some jars but not others which, which is kind of weird the plastic seems to work on every jar so i use a lot of one piece plastic lids so last week we made a quick video we ordered in several different types of measuring cups and one came in it's a it's a glass but it's sort of like a glass they use in a lab and it's got the ounces on in white, so easy to see. It's got a nice little handle. I think it holds up to eight ounces. And I used it uh, on Sunday buying diesel fuel. Didn't spill a drop, it was beautiful. Nice. And all I do is then I go over and just put some water in and wipe it off with a rag and, and uh, the smell is gone. I think it's about 18 or $20, but it sure is nice. Good. We're going to have those in stock, too, so several different types of measuring forms. But, you know, um, what she's talking about moving from one truck to another, uh, I was in a older fifth wheel for a year, and then I bought a new fifth wheel. And it took me, I was working during the day, so every evening it took me seven nights to move from one to the next. I was shocked at how much stuff you accumulate and how much work it was to move. So A lot of that came across because of COVID. COVID changed everything. You, you more or less, okay, you can't get things. Now you got to bring everything with you. I will tell you, when we moved out of our first RV into our second RV, uh, Bruce, that was when we borrowed your truck. Uh, we had mm-hmm. that we had that old Winnebago 
RV, the first one we bought. We only kept it for a couple months just to see if we were going to like this. And then we bought that new fifth wheel and borrowed your truck and went over there. And that was the first time we had ever moved out of an RV. And I was shocked. It took us two days, two days in the parking lot. We had them right next to each other. You would go down one set of steps, right back up the other. Two days to get that thing moved and, and set up again. Yeah. And that was you and Lisa. Crazy yeah, it was two of us. It was when shocking. when you accidentally forget which one you're moving in and out of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I was really, um, I still think about that. It was two days of a lot of work. And and we're walking down steps out of a door, not climbing over <laughs> right. a passenger seat into a bunk. So right, yeah, madness. And it doesn't have to be. You can actually take take matters into your own hands, and that's what I did. There you go. That's Good what you stuff. Have to do. Yep. All right, Brandy. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alberta. We've got lines open, 855-950. If you want to jump in, you better do it now. If we run out of calls, we're going to wrap this up for the day. So jump in. Ben, are you there? Yes, sorry about that, Kevin. That's all right. What's so on you your mind So you guys are doing well today? I am. Everybody's doing well? That's good. Another hot day today in Alberta. 30, what was it yesterday? 36. Uh, you you got to remember, we're, we're ignorant down here of that whole metric thing. 36. Let me see if I can figure it. Hold on. Let me see if I can figure it out. Would that be 90-something? Uh, uh, it would be about 95. So yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, uh, get back to... Uh, that mechanical fuel pump on the Caterpillar. I got a quote to rebuild the flyway from the governor, and I'm wondering if uh, it's accurate. It's uh, around $1,500 for the part and 1000 or 1500 for the labor to do that's the flyway. Deal. 500 for labor, that's good. That's a good deal. But let me, sit, let me, let me remind you of something when you're when it's 95 degrees, I was talking to a couple owner operators yesterday. We were talking about the heat. And uh, heat and humidity displace oxygen. And think of a cubic foot of air that's about 20% oxygen at sea level on cold days. And as the heat goes up, that 20% decreases and then humidity goes up and it also decreases. So the hot, very hot weather and humid weather is a little bit hard on a truck engine. So whenever you're in that high heat and also the temperature of asphalt is about 145 degrees at that point. So you might want to take it a little easier on your trucks instead of running yeah. across Wyoming at 80 miles an hour. Yeah, you probably misunderstood, Bruce. At 1,200 labor. Mm -hmm. 1,500 American, uh, Canadian, and around 1,500. 500 labor to do the flyweights in the governor pump and in the timing advance. That's a good deal. No, 1,200. I said 1,200. And then the, the, the what do you call it? The parts are uh, at, uh, around 1,500, 1,600. Yeah, and the labor's uh, twelve hundred. So the last time we had a pump done, we don't do those pumps in house. We send it out 
we had a, a cat here, a B model, and to have the, we took the pump off to have it rebuilt. It was over forty five hundred dollars, and that was quite a few years ago. Those pumps are just that expensive, unfortunately, but they also last a very long time. They're pretty trouble free. Yeah, and I think the guy that's doing it that quoted me, he's around sixty five years old, so I think he's done them before. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Probably gonna have to find an old timer to do those mechanical pumps. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I I have the mechanic that knows what he's doing, so that's good. Okay. And then right, another man. question. Another question, if you have time. Sure, go ahead. Um, yeah. on the on coolant. So uh, on the thirty four oh six, I've got the the conventional coolant, like the green stuff that you mix water with, half and half. Um, I had it in there, but I had to top it off when I uh, when I drained the coolant out uh, to do the thermostat. Um, I had to top it off with coolant. I grabbed green coolant at the parts store, and before I realized it, it was actually long-life coolant. I don't think you can go by color. Uh, that's the question. Do I have to drain it out again and put in uh, new stuff? So it's green on green, right? Yeah. Are you sure that coolant you bought wasn't already just pre-mixed and not extended life? Because they do make pre-mixed green antifreeze. I've got well, when I, read the, when I read the back of the jug, it said long life coolant on it. So I, I think if it's green, you're going to be okay. You have green on green whether it's long life or pre-mixed or, or you mix it. When you mix it, make sure you use in distilled water. Don't you use tap water or, or shed is well watered. Never put well water in an engine or tap water. Oh, okay. It's too, water from the it, it's too hard. It'll eat the liners. It'll cause the pitting on the liners. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So you think I'm good then? I think you're good. Uh, okay. I think that answers my question. All right. Thanks for the call. Right, ben. Let's go to Louisiana this time. Mark, welcome. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Um, so I was talking to Paul yesterday, and he said you had a question about this company called Super Dispatch that they wanted to talk with you. Uh, I've been using them since. Uh, they're like a TMS, uh, they're, but a little bit more. Uh, reason I started using them is when I was a guinea pig, really, I've been with them since almost day one. It's because you could store all your, when you have five cars on a trailer from five different customers and five different BOLs, and you're billing out potentially 25 invoices a week. So you can put out, and they have one of the best scanners in the business to scan a, a then number. So what it is, it's an app, but it's also a, a, a database, and you can log in as an administrator, and you can organize all your loads in there. They also have a load board now that they're really pushing to com compete with Super uh, Central Dispatch, where they verify everybody, they verify your insurance and everything. But on the app, it's like you can you can you can scan a vehicle in there. You can do all your inspections on there. Uh, take pictures, store it. It's all stored online. And then you uh, 
you, when you take a picture, you can, and then, and then at the end, you can, uh, when you, if you have everything in there, you, you can print out a BOL, you can give it to the DOT, you can send the DOT. If they want a BOL, you can just email them. It's all electronic. It has the best BOL I've found in the car hauling industry that can be automatically generated. So if you need a BOL and, uh, it, it has, uh, so you just put an email in there and you send an invoice. And I use it mainly for invoicing right now. I got a couple of customers. I just scan all the vehicles in and send them an invoice because they require an invoice. And I mean, they, their load board is pretty good. They've actually got Hertz on there. Hertz post all their loads that they need transported through their, uh, uh, their load board, which they verify everybody. They verify that you have insurance. They verify that you have a legal DOT. They verify everything. And then they, they give you, you can't access the load board and the loads on their board. And right now I just looked at it. They've got almost 4,000 loads on there. And uh, they're trying to make a difference and change. It's, it's a, you know, it's a for-profit and uh, they're, they're trying to make a difference in, in how, uh, you know, brokers that are, you know, where you can rate brokers, brokers can rate you. And, uh, I, I, you, I think you should get them on your show as well as go on their show and, and listen to them. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, granted they're for the car hauling industry, but it can really take off. I believe, I mean, they're committed to, to quality and I've never had really a problem with them at all. I mean, if you want to look in my system and look around in it or whatever, I'd give you the login to the, the, the main uh, the main area if you want to go in there. I really, I'm just a member of them right now because I need them for, for billing purposes. I mean, I've got, I subhaul for all these other carriers out there, so I pretty much don't even use it or central, but i I got to have it in case everything right. goes to shit, so... Now, this is good uh, feedback. This is exactly what I was looking for. They they reached out to me. I'd never heard of them, really didn't quite understand what they were doing. Now I have a really good idea. And it does sound like a company I'd, I'd want to at least talk to. So um, I'll... They're out of I'll, Kansas uh, City. Yeah, I'll follow up and, uh, and start looking at this. Thank you. You're welcome. That's really all I got. So all right. Just trying to finish Thank my break here and... Thanks for the call. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a small segment of what we do, but we we've uh, we've kind of grown to uh, several uh, car haulers, and this company does look interesting. So I think I'll respond to them and uh, start that process. Let's go to Ohio, Herschel. Welcome. Hey guys, what's on your mind today? Hey Bruce, Bruce. Yes. That guy that was talking about the 2011 Volvo, you never asked him if he was running the Catalyst. I know. I yeah, know but, I did. but my point is, Bruce, Volvo is very emphatic about the CK rating of diesel fuel for their engine. They want it, oh boy, I want to say 47, and most of it is 40. So you use the hot shot secret everyday treatment to get the C team, but I I started using the catalyst as well day one. I use both. Uh October this year will be a full year on this truck and use them both. Nothing emission wise. And actually the you know the gauge that's on the dash that tells you the level of plugged upness, if that's a word, of your DPF, it actually has went down since I got the truck over this year, almost a year of running it and having the catalyst in there. So I, a lot of people say don't use it in the Volvo. I don't know why I am. And it, 
it works. I don't see why not. But, but the people that um, aren't using it in the bubbles around 300,000 miles are having issues. So then they're going to it. So, yes, the bubbles do need it. All diesel engines need it. Yeah, I just I was really surprised. I, Bruce happened with mm-hmm. using the catalyst. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious myself. I wondered if he was using it. So that may very yeah. well be. I was wondering too. To keep that problem away, maybe it is plugging up because of this sorry diesel fuel that we're buying today. Yeah. It could very well be on that seventh injector. Yeah. It could very could well be. be. But uh, I knew there was a problem with that seventh injector on those older mobiles, so I was just saying silent. <laughs> well, I did it for you. How about that? There you go. All right, guys. I'll let you be. I heard you last Wednesday, though, on the show. It, well, what they're doing, it is working, Bruce. It's not 100% fixed yet, of course, but it is definitely better. It is working. Okay. It is you working, call, no doubt about call it. Call me on the landline someday and let's talk about that. I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I need to get out there for my fall cleaning for the DPF, and I need to check the schedule over at Lernerville because you guys always have the World of Outlaws in the fall, and then I can go see you and see the Outlaws at the same time. There you go. We can hear them from my. I can hear them from my house on Friday night. Do you ever go? Last time I went, it was so loud. I don't know. The, the loud noise kind of bothered me, and that was probably eight years ago. So I wouldn't mind going again, but I'm going to have bring a good set of head, a good headset to drown out some of that noise. So you weren't very close then to Plum, where that house blew up not far from you, from the uh, natural gas. Did you see In that? Plum Borough? No, Plum, no, when did, Pennsylvania. When, when did that happen? Uh, Last weekend, this house blew up from natural gas leak inside the house, and it took out three houses. Oh, it was a mess. Wow. It's the third house that's blown up in Plum in like five years. And the last no house kidding. was a little over a year ago, and they still haven't determined what caused it. And the gas company is, of course, saying, oh, it wasn't a gas leak. Um, now, no. apparently on this house, the... What I heard on on the news was that the the homeowner thought he had an issue with his water tank. And one of the neighbors that came over worked for the gas company, who unfortunately lost him and his son, um, both lost their lives in in the explosion. But it it literally, there's nothing left of the house. I mean, it is a a, uh, foundation. That's all that's left of it. And the two houses beside it are blown up and burnt down. When I saw that, I thought... Man, I hope that none of the Pittsburgh Power Boys is there. That's their house. Oh, my God. It's not that far from us, maybe 45 minutes from where we're at. Yeah, I actually looked it up for curiosity. Wow. Yep. Nice home. All right, guys. All right. I'll leave you be. Thanks for the call. Hey, Bruce, I just thought of something. Uh, Are you guys going to that truck show in California? We will be there. Uh, Bill Feldman will be there representing us along with uh, Dr. Jane. I thought I saw you as a vendor. I think we're going to be there. Just just hanging out, not as a oh. company. I think we're just going to stop in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about two weeks before I have to be in Nashville for that event, and I'd rather go down south and head across the country that way anyway. So I think we're going to stop down there. 
I'll be sure to yeah. stop in and hang yeah. out with Bill for a while. Hang out with Bill and Dr. Jane and yeah, and uh, Brett. All right. I think we'll uh, we'll look forward to that. Let's go to Indiana. Mike, welcome. Well, how's all the smart people doing today? I don't know. Who are they? Where are they? I uh, Well, I thought I was talking to, what, three or four of you guys, so. I don't know about that. You guys seem to have, a, seem to have all the answers, so. I got a question. In the trucking, when I have my truck and I'm going up over the Pennsylvania mountains in West Virginia, and it starts to get hot out, does anybody know what temperature that the actual, they call that density altitude with altitude and temperature in the airline business or airplane business? Does anybody have any idea what temperature that the motor really starts degrading in power at what temperature that is? Are you talking about colon temp or air temp? Oh, just, just in power, the outside air temperature. Um, I notice it, but I, I'm just going to tell you, in the airline business, say you're in Denver, Colorado, high altitude, when we used to load up around 11 o'clock and it starts getting hot out and in the summertime, and it's really any airplane that you've got to load up heavy with lots of fuel and you try to get all the passengers on and get across the country. When the temperature gets to 78 degrees, the weight limit on that airplane, you have to start throwing passengers or cutting fuel or something, baggage or something off, and it gets precipitously worse so, after 78 degrees. Mike, let me ask you something. Is this yeah. is this based on engine performance or engine performance and aerodynamics? I believe it's both. Okay. Because, because you lose, you know, it's air, it's air, air density. So air density goes over the wings, and it also comes through the engine. You know, so for performance of the engine. So the it's higher the temperature like gets, truck, you, you lose lift, right? Yeah, you lose lift. You lose power on the engines. Everything, you know, when with that. But it's so, after seventy-eight. So when we but, was in Denver, Colorado. We tried to load all the passengers we could, and as much fuel as we could, and we was always inching to get all the passengers on and get out the airport. Air, uh, the runway and get taken off before 78 so, degrees because literally you would throw 10 passengers per degree over 78 off whoa. the airplane. Whoa. Now let's think about this. I mean, so when the temperature goes up, the airplane has two disadvantages. You lose lift right. because the air gets thinner and you have a harder time producing power in the engine because of the heat. A truck, though, right. as that temperature goes up, has one disadvantage and one advantage. As the We don't need lift. As the air gets thinner, we don't right. need as much right. power to power through the air. But our engine is right. being degraded by the heat. So it's an interesting theory, but it's different right. in aviation than it would be in trucks. We at least get the advantage of that thin right. air is easier to move through. Right. I just wondered if that 78 degrees, you would know. I, I think I kind of notice it when the truck gets, you know, when it gets up above 78, 85 degrees, I see a, you know, quite a bit of a power change, you know, climbing the mountains and stuff. That's absolutely so correct. I, so I didn't know if it was, if you guys had ever thought about that. You didn't know about the airline stuff, but, you know, anything above yeah. 78 degrees, it just kept getting worse, 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 you know? 
So. Back in the days of the mechanical engines, guys would call and say, or last night it was 60 degrees, blue sky, or, or yeah, not sunshine, but clear skies and 60 degrees. Wow, did my truck run good. That does seem to be oh, yeah. kind of a yeah, sweet I spot. Yeah, I that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 At 50, yeah. 60 degree nights is, is and, the best. And low humidity. I kind of look at it. When I, I came out of Vegas... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I kind of look at a turbocharger just like a jet engine. It's got turbines in it. So the efficiency goes down, right? The higher temperature. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. When I left Vegas one time, it was 113 degrees. Now, I didn't have weight, but I had six axles with my Kenworth and, and um, a lot of wind drag. And as I was heading north on 15, uh, the truck just didn't want to pull. Uh-huh. But, uh, I was at 210 degrees, and all of a sudden it jumped to 220, and the radiator boiled over, and I pulled off to the side, and boy, I had that pit in my stomach, and then I took the rad cap off, and as the gush of coolant came out, I was jumping off that right front tire, uh-huh. got water out of the RV and put in, and that's when I got really serious about radiators and designing reds with more tubes. We've yeah. got 113 degrees, you know. My rule is if it's too hot for me to work outside, it's also too hot for my diesel engine to pull well. So you back out of it and take it easy on it. The same way if it's yeah. 15, 20, 25 degrees below zero, it's the same way. If it's too cold for the body, it's too cold for the truck. All right. You know, well, engines Kevin, will talk to you. Engines yep. will talk to you, and the whole chassis system will talk to you. You just got to be smart enough to listen. And sometimes okay. it pays to leave the radio turned off and, and just listen to the truck. Is that like uh, flying an airplane by the seat of your pants? You do it with a truck, too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, I was think Kevin, I... Do you ever uh, go around and notice things? I know all, all, you know, you probably do. You notice different things. You go, how was that built? How was that done? Who thought of that process? You ever think about stuff like that when you look around the country, walking around? Yeah, ever, yeah I, I, I notice things. All the time. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that kind of stuff, and I, I find people that are curious are always interesting. And I think I said this just a week or two ago. Bruce, I know you probably didn't hear it, but I said you might be the most curious person I know. Well, you I thought of something the other day when I was at, I, I, I thought of something the other day when I was in a Walmart. I'd like to meet the guy that had this invention. You know, when you, uh, when you bag your groceries and you grab the little tab and you pull the plastic bag out and it opens up, you put your stuff in it and then you pull the bag off. And most of the time, the next bag pulls off, and it's an open bag. Once you pull it, your bag pull off, right? The next tap, it opens the bag, and you keep pulling that, right? Yeah. Who was the guy that invented that? Who was the guy that invented that to make it just exactly perfect to crimp that plastic to where one would break loose just a tad bit less than the other one? I have no idea who, but, you know, I... I I've worked with people in different industries, and like I say, I question stuff all the time. And, you know, we do a lot of stuff here, a a lot. So, you know, whether we're talking about fuel mileage or taxes or health or whatever. uh, So there's always something going on, and I've got to jump from one project to another, and I have to shift my mindset. And then I'll go talk to somebody who 
Like one time I knew a guy, he was the CEO of an envelope factory. And my thought was, what the hell do you do all day? I mean, like, is there any chance that you're going to improve the envelope? Like, like, what is there left to do? You, you, so I always wonder what it's like to have a job like that. I think it would make me insane. Right. Like, like this bag thing. Like, I'm just I, they, yeah, they were able to do this because <laughs> what else do they do? I mean, if you make plastic bags, you would think that every one of these products would be absolutely perfect because what else do they have to do? Why don't they keep redesigning these things and making them better? I just think what 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 goes through the guy's mind that could even think that? Well, like, well, think about this though, because I I do too. But that that's your job. You you got hired. Your your right. you work at the bag factory now. So why wouldn't you yeah. think of this? What else do you have to do? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, or maybe I'm just a weirdo to think about shit like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's our, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the diesel engine business and truck business because when you have a creative mind there's so many things you can do and think about and work out and, and that's what's kept me going for 47 years in this is always one of your improve race car industry was the same way and kevin i'll take that as a compliment what you said oh it was meant as a compliment I, I've, I've hung out with you 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 question everything and everybody yeah yeah. Kind of bothers Debbie sometimes because <laughs> why are you asking? Wait, <laughs> you know uh, there was I, I'd seen years ago, probably thirty years ago, on like when sixty minutes came out, there was a professor at Harvard, and he had an unconventional way of teaching his students, and he was kind of a weirdo, you know, and but he'd take his students outside, and he would get them barefoot in a creek of water, and he would get them balancing themselves on rocks which makes sense, you know, kind of learn balance and all that. And then he'd walk them around Boston, and he would tell them, you know, to look around, look at things. And I remember he pointed out hinges on them, an old gate. Think about who designed that. Um, You know, he pointed out a manhole cover, you know. Read it. You know, there's a manufacturer's name on it. Why is that there? Question stuff. And I'll never forget that, that that guy, you know, seeing that and how he was trying to teach his students. And I don't think we have that in this country. You don't have anybody paying any attention to stuff and noticing things, you know. Well, that's, where Bruce, yeah. that's what Bruce has done. I am. Um, those cast manhole covers and you look at the foundry, you look at where right. they're made. A lot of stuff was made in Cincinnati and Milwaukee. Right. And, yeah, you look at them and you think, wow, we used to make that stuff here, and now we don't make it. You know, just a simple latch on a gate, how did they make it? You know, just this crazy things that people don't even observe anymore, you know? If you want to see some interesting hinges, Kevin took me up. Was that Mount Hood? Kevin did at Ski Resort. And we go through this door, and it's about two and a half oh, yeah. inches thick. Yeah. And looking at the hardware on that door, it was it was so impressive. So that is yeah. the lodge up at the top of uh, Mount Hood, the ski lodge. The interesting thing about that, do you remember the movie The Shining? Yeah. Do you 
remember the where the shining itself the movie was set in colorado that's that's where it takes place is in colorado yeah all of the filming of the hotel the outside of the hotel was not in colorado that's the lodge at mount hood i'll be darned so all of the outside shots for the shining that that's mount hood that's the lodge up there that bruce is talking about and it is an incredible yeah. build big huge timbers and big huge hardware and it's pretty incredible mm-hmm. all right we've got to we've got to move along the calls are piling up on us let's go to illinois dale welcome hello guys how are you good what can we help you with today uh i've got an easy question first um on those uh Preset hubs, you've got the speedy nut uh, on there. You probably don't have to, uh, there's probably no use to use a Dr. Preload all on those things are preset. Is that correct? Is anybody familiar with the Dr. Preload? I'm sort of familiar with it, but I've I'm, never I'm, used it. Yeah, I've not used it either. So, okay, so you, are, so you guys aren't familiar with those preset hubs then? With those speedy nuts and everything like that. Mm-hmm. What's the question about them? Well, I didn't know. I don't know if this would be more for uh, more of a Mike Becker question, or if you guys. I had to replace a wheel seal, and I had that new style this uh, is, hub on there. This and, is a better uh, question for Mike. Yeah, Mike's really familiar with those setups. Okay, well then I'll I won't even go into detail on that one then, and I'll skip to my other one then. Okay. Other question. Um, I think I talked to Pete. Um, I believe I had talked to you about a 1954 Mac that uh, I had been working on. It had a small cam Cummins in it, and uh, uh, the crank was uh, injured on it. Is okay. That ringing? I don't know if that rings any bells or not. We can help you though. Go ahead. Okay. Well. Uh, uh, yeah, told me to go to Cincinnati to uh, try to find a replacement engine for that. I wound up not doing that, and I got that running. Um, the other problem, I once I got got that back to running, uh, the fuel I had turned the tar because it had sat so long, and I had taken the tank off, got the tank cleaned off, and uh, the filter was probably three quarters of the way plugged with that uh, old diesel fuel, and it had worked its way through the fuel lines. The filter got most of it, but I don't know how much actually got into the pump. Um, Believe it or not, the darn thing still ran with that filter uh, that bad of being plugged with that old diesel fuel. Uh, So I didn't know if the... Catalyst would help clean that, or if I should use or take the pump off and get it professionally cleaned. Um, you, you should take the pump off and send it to us because when the fuel turns the varnish inside the pump, it usually affects the governor plunger. There's a little tab on there that rides in the fly weights, and it'll snap that off. And you don't want to take that chance of going down a highway because then the truck could run wild on you. Well, I had noticed that before um, I started doing some more investigating. Um, it would, if you was trying to uh, go down the road, uh, shifting the gears, it would just go run wide open. Then you'd have to stick your foot under the throttle 
uh, to get it to back off. And then it would, would that be probably why it was doing that? Because it's yeah. thick and wide open from that. You, you had a varnish build up in the throttle shaft area also. Okay. So that would be the correct way. There's no, no glucose or anything like that that would help uh, nope. get that cleaned out. Nope. The pump off. Just call okay. us and speak to Pete. And Pete will give you an order number and get it in, and his brother will take care of it. What's the turnaround on something like that, Bruce? Right now we're at about three weeks. Okay. All righty. Well, that sounds good. I've got to tank off, replace the hose, so then uh, that would be the last thing to do then. Uh, there wouldn't be any other issues other than the pump uh, where that might be built up in that then? Could be the built injectors. up in the injectors. Uh, yeah. okay. That'd be a good thing to replace those then, wouldn't, wouldn't you think? No, we don't need to replace them. We do a clean and check and recalibrate. Set up the pyre a little bit, make sure that the barrels and plungers are good. Make sure that the leakage between the plunger and the seat and the leakage between the plunger and the barrel are good. Look at the flow rates and then add uh, about 10 cc's to it so it'll be more fun to drive. What horsepower is it? It's a 250 turbocharged Cummins. Okay, so a, that has a, a. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bruce. That has a 122. CC per thousand stroke injector, and that needs to be opened way up. Okay, this is in a 54 Mac. Of course, it's not the right, correct uh, engine for it. Um, mm -hmm. My other question I have for you is that this has uh, uh, optional power steering on it. It's it's not a true power steering. It's got a slave cylinder. I guess you'd call it power assist slave cylinder. Uh, have you guys messed with those before? Does this have the pump behind the oil pump? Yes. There was a seal in there at times we would see would fail, and it would either put oil into the fire steering or vice versa. That's been a long time on that. But, yeah, it put uh, oil into the power steering reservoir, Bruce, because it would overflow. Oh, okay, that's what that was, all right. Okay, but there's a seal there that I could check. Uh, yeah, there's a seal between the oil pump and that power steering pump. Okay. Right. Now, is that seal still available? Mm, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I had to get a, a fuel line uh, from Cummins uh, for this coming off the pump. It was cracked, and they couldn't find anyone. It, it, couldn't find it anywhere other than Belgium, and it was going to be $2,000 to get it from Belgium. A $34 fuel line was going to, at the time I had to pay shipping and everything to get it over there, they said it was going to be $2,000. Wait, wait a second. Is this the fuel line from the solenoid to the back of the head? Yes. We have those in stock. That's part of our dual fuel line kit. You put a fuel line to the front head, fuel line to the back head, and you gain 25 horsepower. I'll be darned. Yeah, they're, they're right on our wall. If you come into our parts department, you can see them. We, well, probably, had, uh, we probably have eight or ten of them of each size hanging on the wall. Well, I called Cummins, and they couldn't find any. And then they found one in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, that they said that they had had for over ten years. That was just in there. Oh, like my. <laughs> we still sell a lot of big cam oh, and from small cam parts. Always call us for those parts first, because Pete knows where to find them. Okay. I sure will. Well, I really appreciate it. That's all the questions I had, so 
I really appreciate your time, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Jason, it's your turn. Hello. What's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, you're talking to Jason, right? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a question with some air filtration problems. Um, I'm hearing about with the uh, Peterbilts with the X-15 coming. Um, 2022 X-15. Uh, have a guy I drive with. Had one get dusted out on cylinder six. Cummins is saying it's a lack of maintenance issue with the air filters. Uh, I don't know if it's that or so, if it's the way the air the air compressor sucks air from these new engines. So I'll what, look, what uh, model eight? Uh, 389. So 2022 I'll address this in general, but I don't know specifically what's going on with this, but their answer doesn't make sense. Um, an air filter gets better at filtering the longer you let it go without doing anything. The less you service that filter, the better it's going to filter. The problem is it starts restricting airflow and we don't want that. But it it, it doesn't make sense that right. they're saying, well, you're not servicing your filter often enough and that's causing what dirt to get through. How does that work? I, I, I don't know. I always filter, figure to filter the it's either going to plug up or right. it's going to work. It doesn't just filter so much and then give up. Right. That doesn't even make any sense. 389, 389 has the two external air filters. Um, yeah, they're so overly filtered that how's it not doing anything? Yeah. Now with the with the, does he have any oil analysis or do you have oil analysis on yours? I, well, I have done some just through the Kamasu dealer um, that's local to my house. That was going to be my question. Um, I've always heard 10 on your silicon number, 10 is where you start to worry. Right. Um, I will change every every 20,000 miles. Um, my last couple numbers have been seven. Then, now, with change every 20,000 miles, is that seven okay, or how does that? It, that no, seven good. would always be okay. Doesn't matter. This isn't. Okay, well, as, this isn't as much of a mileage related issue as a lot of things like dirt or, you know, where metals can build up over time. So we have to read those differently. We never okay. read silicon differently. 10 is always the place you, you okay, want to stay under. And I can promise you this. If you're under 10, there's no way that dirt is what's causing the problem. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's myself. I think it's more an EGR, which shoving all the carbon back into the cylinders, but that's not what Cummins told him. They said it was dirt getting into number six that polished the cylinder, and he had the well, extended warranty on it, 300,000 miles on wait, the truck, wait, and they I, told him oh, I'm good. I'm confused again. Now, is it possible okay. that one cylinder... But how do you only get dirt in one cylinder? How, if there's dirt in the engine, how does it only affect one cylinder? It can't be in the oil because the oils would affect every cylinder. So something else must be going on if it's only one cylinder. From what I, under, from what I understand, it's the flow of the air into the intake. They're telling him that the majority of the dirt is going to the back cylinders in the engine because of the way it flows. And there's supposed to be Actually, more, uh, more than his truck. Um, Hunter's Peterbilt says they have like 20 of them that are cases that Cummins is saying no lack of maintenance, and they're refusing to warranty these engines. So, so I'm just trying to stay ahead of the game. I took all my air piping apart, cleaned it, greased all the clamps, 
fighting everything, you know, to try to make so sure I'm not going to have the issue. There's two things here. Seven just is not enough dirt to herd an engine. If it was, we'd have all kinds of problems. Okay, so that's, that's my good. first issue. The second one I'm going to have to ask you guys, okay. does that make sense that dirt would be concentrated into one mm-hmm. or a couple of cylinders? No. Uh, Pete, do you recall the video that we had for the, uh, the new take? How it would, was it cylinders one, five, and six that were restricted with the stock intake, but with the new intake, we got even air to all six cylinders? Correct, correct. The, the, the stock one does have a, a limit, but like Kevin said, I don't see how, if you're getting dirt in the engine, whether it's a hole in the intake, a loose clamp, uh, a hole in the filter, whatever it might be, the whole engine gets dusted. Right. You know, yeah. I've never seen one cylinder cause that problem where, you know, that bore polish, it could be an overheat. Now, an overheat does generally happen um, at number six because that's the last one to get the coolant. So, you know, if he did run the engine hot at some point, uh, number six cylinder would be the first one to start to um, score and or bore polish. That's easy enough to look up on the um, ECM to verify if it was ever overheated or not. You know, you got the engine Call our parts department when you get off this line. Call our parts department and see if we have the new intake for for uh, your model, your your I have, truck. I have your intake and exhaust manifold. I was down there uh, probably a month and a half or two months ago. So I have, uh, uh-huh. on my engine, I have your intake and exhaust, and I run your catalyst. This thing's never had a gallon of fuel put through it without catalyst. So, so I don't I think you're going to have any problems. Um, there is one other question I do have. I, I have a bunch of friends. We all have X-15. Um, I have a friend with a Kenworth that had a, seemed like a constant regen problem. Uh, he couldn't get it into a shop. They were more or less given the run around. That it's not an engine light. It's not a problem. Now, he changed the step filter, the liquid filter that's on the pump, and he said it seems like his problem has kind of went away. question is, could that liquid death filter being plugged up cause more frequent regens or make a truck act like it's regenning? No, the death filter is not going to have anything to do with regens. That's kind of what I thought, too, but like he said, he said he changed it, it looked melty, and as of three days now, he said it's like the problem fixed. So that was just, it didn't make any sense to me either, but with this electronic stuff these days, anything anything could happen. But, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the only questions I had. I'm going to be doing another oil sample. Um, like I said, I've just been using the Kamatsu dealer close to the house. I just didn't know how an oil sample went with 10,000 miles, 20,000 miles, your extended drain where guys are running hundreds of thousands of miles. I didn't know if uh, there was a certain, I mean, oil is going to get dirtier as you go, you'd think. I've had I just several, want to make sure I was good at that number. I've had several trucks that we were tracking for a while that were all over 500,000 miles without a full oil change. Now, all three of them okay. used, if I remember right, it was a gallon around 6,000 miles or so. It was under 10,000, which helps keep the oil cleaner over long drains because you keep putting in fresh oil. It, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of right. nice almost to have an engine that uses that gallon about every 6,000. It's a good replacement cycle and you can just keep using that oil without doing an oil change. The three trucks that I were mo- was right. monitoring, none of them ever went over 10 on silicon. It doesn't build up the way some other things can. Okay. That's my question. Like I said, I didn't know if seven and a 20,000 mile was good or that, that 10, we always use that number. Always. 
Okay. Okay. If it's under 10, Um, we're fine. If it's over 10, we're going to start paying attention and figure out why. Okay. All righty. As long as I stay under that 10, then I'll be, I'll be happy. I'm looking to see maybe lower numbers this time, but all right. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin. Dave, welcome. Oh, let me try that again. There we go. Dave. How are you? Good. Good morning. Am I coming through okay? Uh, yeah, you got a little bit of background noise. You're a little quiet, but I think we can make it work. Okay, I'm in. Uh, I'm using my Bluetooth in my private vehicle. Say, I, I recently, you know, I've been drinking a Tuesday Power Hour Kool Aid for the last ten years. I started drinking the Friday Kool Aid last week, so I bought a Volvo. Um, my question is, I'm, I'm in the process of replacing the belt. It's got 500,000 miles on it. I bought it from a tribe member. Uh, tribe member. The thing is absolutely spotless clean. I, I got a good buy. Uh, what I'm wondering is, do I have to be concerned with the crank dampener on that Volvo um, like I have been with the previous engines? Well, Volvo puts the damper on the inside, so. Um, uh, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that changes these. I got you, but I don't know many, many people that change the one on the outside either. Well, well right, but uh, on the, the Volvo, it's just, it's really not an option, and it even if it was causing a problem, I don't know that it would be cost effective. I don't know what it would take to tear into it, but but nobody seems to replace them and we don't seem to have issues with them. We don't seem to see a lot of the problems that occur. Now, why are you replacing the belts? Just well, because? Well, 500,000 miles on the original belts. Uh, preventative. Okay. What do you think? I mean, is that a good idea? Get 520,000 miles out of the original belts. You know, it's probably something we should talk about more. I'll ask the guys in the shop. I, I'm just thinking about all the trucks I owned. I, I just belts were in the last 15 or 20 years I owned trucks. Belts were almost never an issue anymore. I mean, I just don't remember. I, I, I understand. I, I have to believe that every truck I sold at 1.3, um, I'll go back to the last truck that I had belt problems with was the Ford I built in 1995. I had AC brackets wouldn't hold up. The alternator brackets were always a problem. Then you would have a belt problem with it. That The first year, it seemed like I was constantly working on the AC and the alternator mounts and belts. And once I got it fixed, then it was never a problem again. And I just don't remember replacing belts on any trucks I owned after that. Um, Pete, okay. what's what's your experience like this in the shop? How long are do belts go these days before you actually see one fail? Uh, they, they usually last a long time. And a lot of times it would be, hey, while you're changing the damper, go ahead and change the belts. Yeah, that b- might make or, sense. Or, you know, if the tension will glaze over and we'll change your belt. And not like it used to be where it was a, you know, yearly or every couple of years you're changing belts. Right. Um, the serpentine belt had a huge difference. The, the tensioners made a difference. You know, on a, the old system, the V-belt, you're relying on your tech to tighten it correctly. And if they were tight, they wore out the belt. But if it was loose, they would glaze over. 
Um, with, with the self-tensioner, we, we don't seem to have problems with belts. I would inspect it's just the same. Oh, yeah, I definitely. can't see you get a mirror and look if any cracks, any glazing, any nicks. If they look bad, then definitely you, you want to replace them. Okay, fantastic. I got, uh, I got the belts. I'll keep them for spares in case one fails on the road. I got no problem with that. Uh, yeah, I kind of get a little sticker shock on Volvo prices because they're Peterbilt Park prices. Two two uh, tensioners for the two belts are over five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's another one. I, I don't I don't think I've ever replaced the tensioner. I got you. All right. Well, that's answered my question on the Friday Kool Aid. Now the Tuesday Kool Aid. I've got a, a 2013 Schneider glider, and I've got just about everything you recommend for fuel mileage in here. I've got the Pittsburgh Power Tune on it. I've got their uh, exhaust manifold. I just put out that on within the last couple of months. Turbo. Uh, I've, I've went through this truck with a fine-tooth comb. I got 915,000 miles on it, pre-emissions, 60 series. And I'll be putting that up for sale in a couple of, uh, within the next month or two. I wonder if I can throw out my email address in case anybody in the tribe may be interested. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, I think I got a better chance selling it through the tribe because it has everything on it you recommend. Yep. Uh, air tabs. Those, those uh, usually sell fast. Uh, and I, and that isn't going to mean much to somebody that doesn't drink the Tuesday Kool-Aid. No, those, those kind of trucks usually sell really fast right within the tribe. I got you. So I'm going to put my uh, email address out on, on the air here. And I've told Angie, if anybody calls, let's go ahead and give them my phone number. But my email address is F-I-T. That's Frank Ida Thomas. Transport at Yahoo.com. Got it. All right. And uh, I got to see the Volvo, the Volvo I bought. I bought from a tribe member. I heard him talking to Eric. heard him talking on your program. Uh, he lives right up here in Wisconsin with me. What a great guy. Good. Uh, so, I mean, it works. <laughs> we love that. All right. Let's why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you email me pictures of this truck you have for sale and uh, put a caption on everything you've done and the miles and different things. And Bruce M., at pittsburghpower.com. Yeah, I could I could probably do that within the next few days or so. My my, uh, I'm trying to get this Volvo ready for me to take out. So uh, I can do that. Schneider glider pretty much says it all. It's orange and it's a glider. I got you know That's 60 series engine in it. I replace. I put I put a 13 speed single overdrive in it with 264 rears. I mean, it runs like a dream. Perfect. Good. All right. Okay. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, talk to you soon. Let's go to uh, Louisiana. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce. Uh, spoke with you back in May about putting 264s gears in my truck. Well, I finally got them in, and I'm getting ready to have to put tires on. And I'll, I'm running 11 or 24 fives now. And I'm wanting to go to 11 or 22 fives. Is there a, is there a benefit to other than the weight and the cost, is there a benefit to go to the smaller tire or or not? Well, what's your what's your RPM at your given speed now? Uh, seventy four, twelve eighty in twelve gear. 
I was kind of going down a little incline too. I'm rolling through some hills right now. But I, I typically, I typically run, I typically run loaded about sixty-eight at about fourteen, fourteen and a quarter is is what I typically run with these two sixty-fours. Okay, in in. And this is a thirteen speed. Thirteen speed, three seventy nine P five EK. Everything you can put on it that y'all have, I got on it. Okay. So, are you running in the eleventh gear when you're at sixty four miles an hour? Yes, I, I run in eleventh loaded, but when I'm coming back out of Dallas, back over uh, North Louisiana, I run in twelve. I get just as good. I, I found I can get just as good a fuel mileage running 12th gear at 75 as I do 11th gear at 68, the same fuel mileage. Okay. And I might still make better time. So, Kevin, I think he's going to drop about three miles per hour. Do you agree with that? Well, that sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not a big deal because I like that when I'm loaded, I try to run around 68 when I'm loaded. It just, it just to me, with these 24 fives, when I go to take off, some of these loads of lumber are kind of heavy. It just feels like it needs a little bit more of the off. But other than that, I, I, I'm happy with it because I went from 5.8 to 6.8. I jumped a whole changing, mile per gallon. By changing your ears. Out and slowing down. I slowed down probably five miles an hour, but I, 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 jumped, I jumped a whole mile per gallon. So you gained, you gained a half a mile with the gear change and a half a mile by slowing down, basically. Yeah, my, my first quarter IFTA was 5.9, and my second quarter IFTA was 6.8. Okay. And that's, that, that second quarter IFTA with two months of the rear ends, the new rear ends in them. Do you like the way it pulls when you're in 11th gear and you're on rolling hills and loaded? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't have no issues with it. It's just sometimes when I take off, especially on a, if I come up to a red light and it's on a little incline, it just... Sometimes it wants to hop, you know, if I'm a little heavy. But other than that, I, I'm happy with it. Do you have our program in the ECM? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got your program, manifold, turbo, okay. damper, bouncer, air dog, okay. fleet air filters. I run the catalyst. But I do it all. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So, so you think, you'll think i just drop three miles per hour? How many RPMs is that going to be? About 50, 75? Probably. Or will my RPMs go up? Yeah. So, so you don't think it'll it, you don't think it'll it'll hurt me to go to the Lamar twenty two fives then, right? No. Okay. Okay. Well, good deal. Not That's at all. all I needed to know. All right, my man. All right. Thanks all right, for the have call. A good day. Thank you. Let's go to Indiana. Lyle, welcome. Good morning. What's on your mind today? I have today? an OPS, and uh, the other day my Electricity coming to it is still good coming to the OPS, but the lights will not come on. What I want to know is what is not happening because the lights aren't on. There's 12 volts coming to the head on it. The filter's still filtering, so the oil's still going through there. More than likely, the heater's not coming on. Now, this time of the year in the summer is less of an issue than in the winter. Um, Now, that could be a bad pressure switch. Uh, the best thing for you to do is, is call Eric at our shop, and he can go through diagnostics with you, kind of get it figured out. But the OPS is still filtering oil, even though the lights are out. Okay, what is it not doing because the lights are out? More than likely, the heater isn't working. 
Oh, okay. Which does what? Yeah. Just heat the oil? That's the only thing it does? It heats the oil, yes, when it's below temperature um, to help boil up moisture and, and any, any fluids that are in there that shouldn't be. Okay. So it's still doing its work. It's just that the, we don't have any heat. Well, again, because I don't know what's going on, we would have to diagnose the problem, but it will still filter no matter what. I mean, at that and, point, it's still a filter. And it is possible okay. that it's the light itself that is the only problem. The heater could possibly uh, still be working and just the light itself is not working. And the other thing to know, most bypass filters on the market don't even have the heating element. That's an extra. That That's a, an OPS thing. Um, uh, Harvard used a, a heating element, but most bypass filters don't. It's a secondary method of getting liquid contaminants out, like Pete was saying. And people say, well, how hot are you getting the oil? Is that bad for the oil? No, not even close. The engine most of the time will get the oil hot enough that you could boil out these contaminants. There's two problems. When the oil is flowing through the engine, it's becoming emulsified. It's mixed up like salad dressing. So you can't boil out the contaminants. They're, they're too emulsified. The other problem is there's no place for them to go and they keep recondensing right back into the engine. So even if you manage to boil out some in the engine itself, they just recondense right back into the oil. The OPS is designed to heat it just enough to vaporize it, vent it right out of the filter. And it's like a secondary cleaning. Okay. So it does do something other than just heat the oil. Yeah, it, it, it's heating the oil in order to vent out, to, to boil out and vaporize those contaminants like fuel or, or water. Okay. And then, then um, I always got the question I was, after I explained that, somebody would say, well, then if it's boiling off the fuel, how would you know you had fuel dilution? But you do because there are contaminants left over that we measure. So even if you boil out the water, boil out the the uh, fuel, there are traces left, and we can read those traces and know how much contamination we have. Well, the thing I try to remember about those samples is that they're doing it on parts per million, right? Right. Most things. Some things are a percentage. So you have to look at so each it's contaminant. A tiny, tiny amount. I, exactly right. Uh, can I ask, uh, make one other statement? Sure. Um, the other day you were talking to the lady, or uh, talking about the lady that lost her business, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And um, just a brief. Uh, I bought this truck in 2011, put all of uh, Pittsburgh Power stuff on it, with the exception of the turbo, and it was already a big one. So. Coming to two years ago, I lost my transmission. Uh, I had just done an in frame and put a piston through the block after the in frame. So I had to have a new engine built. I had a rear end going out. So the mechanic put the wrong rear end in it and it lunched the other one within 900 miles. The new mechanic put in the wrong rear end as well. I had to have both of them changed out. All that's to say, in the last two years, that I've got. All of those bills nearly paid off, and last week, uh, doing some partialing, I have a step deck, 53 foot. I grossed 10.5. I'll be over 7,500 this week. Wow. And so, okay, it's a bad market, but, you know, 
<laughs> I think I'm it, doing okay. It, it's doing fantastic. And that's the difference between doing the right stuff, doing the hard work. And, and the longer you do those right things, the the more resilient you become. The, the You can handle a, a downturn better. You can handle a downturn that might be longer. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations. That's doing the right stuff and doing the hard work. And it pays off. Does. So, I mean, you know, we just have to look at what, where we're at and yep. figure out what you need to do to get there. I mean, that's, I, I, it hasn't been easy. I can tell you that. It, 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 we can say it's simple. It's not rocket science, it's not complicated, but it's a lot of hard work. And that's why most people don't do it. It is a lot of hard work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good yep. stuff. Thanks for the feedback on that. I appreciate it. Let's uh, go to North Dakota. Jamie, welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Um, Novice, novice trucker, more of an enthusiast here, so uh, bear with me. Okay. I uh, picked up a truck. I, I picked up a truck uh, in North Dakota here. I just wanted to do part-time agricultural work, hauling grains and such and fertilizer. So I picked up a truck out of California that a guy had to get rid of because of the emissions issues out there. It's a uh, 98, uh, 1998 International 9800 cab over with the flat floor, 670,000 original miles on it. I went out and drove it all the way back to North Dakota. No issues whatsoever. My first question, it's got the Detroit 12-7 in it. It's a GK. Uh, I called the international dealer. It's an old, it's a former Walmart truck prior to going over to the movie industry in California. The international dealer told me that it was set at 370 horsepower. Now, is that something that Walmart would expect it at? If so, can I have that removed? That was a really common spec. For the fleet. Okay. Yeah. The 370. There was even a split horsepower option that the fleets used a lot, 370, 430. And, and, and when I look at the, the decals on the, on, the, on the valve cover, it says uh, 12.7, 430, 430, 470, you know, 1800 that, and 2150 RP. That was the other now, way to set them up three, with the split, 430, 470. But the 370, 430, um, I saw a lot of fleets set them up that way. The good news here, you can change all of this. And, and the Pittsburgh power tune and, on this engine is awesome. And and that was that was my question. So if it so if it's at three seventy, it's just a matter of getting a, a tune, and they can delete that, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I'll let uh, to, to I'll make let, it to, to make yeah. I'll let Leroy not, explain it all to you. But I, I'll tell you, it it feels like a brand new truck when you put the, especially this one, because this was a pretty. Uh, this was not a good setup. This was underpowered. It didn't really help fuel economy. Um, this was not a setup that I liked at all. And you, if you drive it set up like this, then you put, uh, and again, I'll let Leroy explain what your options are. Put a good tune in this engine. You'll think you got a brand new truck. The two don't even compare. Excellent. Yeah. So Leroy, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we do, uh, I would say almost dozens of 12 sets a month. And like like everyone was saying, the the tune is night and day difference, especially if you're at like 370 horse or 400. I can't remember exactly what you said, but yeah, I mean, bumping it up to 500, 550, which is still within um, factory spec, is is going to be a, a night and day difference. And we can get rid of a lot of sort of the torque limiting features, the smoke limiting features, progressive shift, just the way that we remap the pedal, um, things like that, the way that the timing works with the fueling. It's, uh, it, yeah, just simply put, it's going to feel totally different. 
And, and it's something that can be done remote, remote tuning? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we can pretty much do anything we want with that ECM. So. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Here's our dealers. And here's our deal. You said you're in North Dakota? That's correct. We have West Fargo, Watford City, and Oaks. Okay. Are you yeah, familiar with any of those three cities? Yeah, West Fargo would probably be my best bet there. Okay, GNS Truck and Trailer Repair. GNS Truck and Trailer Repair. Speak Make to Grant. Right. Speak to Make Grant. Grant. Okay. And number 520-471-7328. Okay, great. I will do just that. Go couple other questions. I, I know, Bruce, you, uh, for the time I have been listening, you talk about replacing the damper on these 12.7s. Mm-hmm. It's at 670000 on it. If, 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 I, if I elect to do that, is that something that, uh, you know, I'm, I've turned a wrench here and there, but I'm by, means, by no means a mechanic. Is that something I can tell mm-hmm. myself? Only um, six bolts in the front. Of course you can do it. Okay. Put a new damper and balancer on it. Um, find a good Detroit mechanic, have the overhead set. Use the max mileage catalyst and put some Lucas uh, upper cylinder lube injector cleaner in it because that engine was designed for high sulfur, high aromatic, and high paraffin diesel fuel. Well designed for ultra low sulfur. And that was my second question: was an overhead. And I've I've watched you know call myself a YouTube mechanic, but I've watched it on. I've watched guys do these overheads. I know it takes a special tool for measuring that uh, depth, that uh, injector and stuff. But is that something more likely I should have a mechanic do that? And how often would you have overheads run? Uh, The way you're going to run, once you have it set, you're only going to work part-time. You're probably going to every five years, maybe. Okay. 200,000 miles. Why don't you buy the tool and do it yourself? Yeah. gauge. That's what I'm doing. And uh, look at the YouTube videos. And if you have any questions, call call our shop. Excellent. I had an opportunity to run it, <clears throat> hauling some uh, hauling some grain, pulling around eighty thousand, I suppose, uh, gross weight, give or take a few. I, <clears throat> the fan wouldn't kick on until about two hundred and ten. Now I was told that that's normal. But, I mean, it's just a little scary because your needle's all the way over there to the end of the normal range, so to speak. But is, is that normal yeah. for those 7s, 210? Well, we we can also adjust that in the tune. So okay, I'd better have it come on. I'd better have it come on at 200. Okay. That's what I was wondering, if that's kind of uh, pushing things with that kind of temperature. And uh, another thing, now the rear the rears in this are 281. Is that that? 281? Yes. That's what Never I was heard told by it. the international. Is it a 10-speed direct? It is a 10-speed direct. I always thought these were one. I always thought these were 264s, but 281 is that a one of those weird Meritor rear ends? Do you know? Never it heard does, of that show. I think it has Spicer rear ends. It's a Spicer. Okay. Huh. Yeah. What size tire do you have? I'm sorry. What size tire? Uh, 22.5, but I think it came on stock with 24.5. Yeah, we we saw we saw a lot of these with either 264s or 293s. There were a bunch of 293s, and and everybody hated them. But if you drove that truck 55 to 60, they got incredible fuel mileage. You just couldn't go any faster than that. 
and that's my target. But I, uh, even at uh, even at fifty five, fifty seven, I'm only running about thirteen hundred. Oh no, it's RPM, perfect. I believe if I recall. Yeah, yeah, that's why at fifty five to sixty, the the two seventy nines, the two ninety threes, um, so that two eighty one, if that's really what it has, you're right there anyway. I mean that that's going to be just about ideal okay. for this. It's just it's just a very speed limited truck. You're you're if you run around at seventy in this thing, the fuel mileage just tanks. Yeah, too rough to run seventy. <laughs> yeah, good. But, yeah, yeah, it, that's what. Yeah. They're, they're ideal slow trucks. Okay, and that's what the IH dealer said, 281, and then I saw somebody online scrapping one of them out, and he was also saying it had 281. So it, it could be. I'm, I'm assuming. That's what it wow. And, uh, uh, another, I, 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 my, my day job is a pilot, and in the process of testing our, our – we have to test our fuel twice a day, our bulk tank, it's jet fuel. I've heard of guys – burning these in trucks, mixing it with, say, Marvel and ratio to Marvel's mystery oil or any other type of oil to put some lubricity to that dry jet fuel. Have you heard of anything like that? Uh, what what is their, guys doing that? What's their reason for it? I got like 230 gallons of it. I'd like to just burn up. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we had a... We, we had, an in, we had an incident with one helicopter. We had to drain the entire tank. So I just come across all this fuel, and I've heard of guys just burning I, these up in diesel. And it's essentially kerosene. It's just dry. I, it, yeah, that's my problem. It's really dry. It doesn't have as much energy in it. I, I, if you're just trying to get rid of stuff and this is a pre-emission engine, probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But I would use some sort of a fuel additive. Um Got kind of funny story about this. I was a crew chief in the army on uh, Cobras, and we had to do a fuel sample every day as part of the pre-trip. And we were out in the desert. We were out, and we had been out there for a couple weeks. So, you know, everybody was just dumping their fuel sample into the ground, and I, I, it was just bothering me. I'm like, we should figure out something to do with this stuff other than dumping it into the ground. They won't let you dump it back into the tank because. You know, sometimes got water in it or whatever. We had those army heaters that looked like a keg almost. Uh, and it had a carburetor on it. And you would use kerosene in them. And we were using them to heat the tents. And I said, every time you take a fuel sample, just go over and dump it in the, the heater tanks. And that, that should be fine. Uh, we woke up in the middle of the night one time. And the stovepipe was glowing cherry red and flames were shooting out the top. I think we had gotten a little too much jet fuel in there. <laughs> and, I, and I was, con- and I was considering if, if, if I elected to do it, I was going to blend it 50, 50, 50, uh, diesel, 50. That would probably work. Like a Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of extra in there to make sure. Um, I, I, I would use a Lucas and I would use a double strength instead of one gallon to 400 gallons. It'd be one gallon to 200 and along with the max mileage to make it ignite faster and mix it 50 50 with your regular fuel. Okay. And let the us, Lucas, let us know how it does. A uh, Lucas treatment? Of, what yeah, the, Lucas, Lucas injector cleaner. It has the it has the best lubricity in it. It's got a polymer in it. Um, people that uh, that are older and remember whenever cardboard, like what pairs would come in, had a waxy film on it. That's what his uh, Lucas polymer polymer is, and it's a, it's a phenomenal lubricant. It's very expensive polymer, but it's in all of his products. Excellent. 
And that with the catalyst, catalyst and the jet fuel, you'll be okay. Okay, excellent. What, what do you fly? Uh, I've flown various helicopters and fixed wing, but uh, everything from Blackhawk, uh, A-Stars, the Eurocopter A-Stars, uh, Bell 407, the Huey. I've flown all those in the past. Uh, the, the most recent one's a Bell 407. And do you fly, is this your main job? Yeah, I'm a retired, retired Border Patrol pilot. Oh, interesting. I flew the southern border, northern border, and then I retired out of the uh, Caribbean where I was flying. I was still flying the helicopter, then I was flying a a Dash 8 twin turboprop. When was the last time you flew the border? Oh, I retired in 17, and I was working the Caribbean there. So So, it was uh, based out of Puerto Rico. We flew the Caribbean area dealing with... Uh, drugs out of South America or coming for, or coming over from the Dominican Republic and such. Got it. Okay. So it's not, were you ever Army aviation? No, I was a okay. Marine Corps infantry ground pounder. That's why I started flying. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I got tired of walking. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, good. All right. Love it. So, the, so you retired, now you bought a truck. Yeah, well, I've always wanted to do it. My dad was an owner-operator for for a while and my brother he's, he still drives trucks it's just something i've always wanted to do and the job is two yeah. weeks on two weeks so with the two weeks off i figured well you know i could do something i've always wanted to do and maybe make a little bit of money or lose a little bit of money on the side one of the two but <clears throat> so yeah that's where i'm at with that good yeah and uh, i just two more simple questions for you guys if you don't mind did you, sure go ahead did you hear mike on the did you hear mike on the uh, phone here about a half hour ago he was a He's retired from Continental and United well, Airlines. No, I, I think I've heard him on a previous episode, though, but I yeah. didn't hear him on this one here. Yeah, he's one of yeah. our catalyst dealers from the Indianapolis area. And, um, he, yeah, he, he, trucks the world, and he trucks for fun. It, when I had this truck serviced in California before I brought it back, they put this a heavy-duty uh, coolant question. They put the heavy-duty diesel truck coolant. What is the older style green coolant? And he said that was okay for that 98 truck. Is that is that the case? Yeah. Uh, it, it works. Okay. It works okay. fine. The other, the thing you've got to remember about using green coolant, and, and I don't know if we're forgetting this because we haven't used it in so long, it has to be recharged on a very regular basis. Like every service, isn't it, Pete? Yes. Mm-hmm. So either... Does it have a, a, a fuel, water filter? Uh, yeah, Jamie, a, a does it have a water filter, filter on, it? on it? It does have the water filter. I had them replace that as well. You, you need to make sure when they do it, they replace it with a charged filter, not a blank. Charged filter. Okay. So what they do is they put the and additive that's needed. That green coolant needs additive. And without the additive, you can start to develop cavitation and you can wipe out a block. So the the additive has to be recharged every service, but they also make blank filters. So if you're using the red coolant, you would spin a blank on because you don't need the additive. So you just want to make sure if you're going to stick with that green coolant that you get the right filter. I, I really, I converted every truck I ever had. Just get rid of the green, put the red in, you don't have to worry about it. That's my advice. Okay. It's, it's not that expensive. It's a one-time thing, and then you're done. You never have to worry about somebody putting the wrong filter in or you didn't get enough additive. I just I, I don't really like using the green when we have such a better option. Okay. I will, I'll do that the next time around. And then um, my last question for you. 
shift RPM on that Detroit? Do you run them up to about 17 or should you no. run them a little higher? I, for it, in the lower gears, hitting 17 is not that big of a deal. Once you get past, you know, uh, into the top range, then no, you don't want to wind it out that hard. More, more like maybe 15 or something, yeah. 15, 16, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What it, about if you're loaded going uphill? It, well, then you could. Let, let it run up to about mm -hmm. 17 before you shift, yeah, uh, on a long pull. You know, even in the lower range, if you really get good at, at what we call progressive shifting, it's really good for everything. It's easy on the tires, it's easy on the driveline, it's easy on fuel, and you would shift much faster than normal. Like it, the idea behind progressive shifting is you make your upshift as soon as you can. One of the ways that, um, okay. you know, I used to teach people how to drive better for fuel economy on this engine, you can turn on progressive shifting in the ECM and it forces you to progressive shift. And I can promise you, you will hate it. You, you'll think, what did they do to my truck? This is just awful. But it, if you pay attention, it will teach you how to shift better. And then you can turn it back off. Or, or I used to just leave mine on. I, once you learned how to do it, I didn't mind it at all. I actually preferred it. Okay. No, I, that's all the questions I had, gentlemen. You really uh, filled in a lot of blanks for me. I, Good. I appreciate it, and uh, I enjoyed the show. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Montana. Tom, welcome. Yeah, hi, Kevin. Hi, Bruce. I don't know. I, I was in the back of the trailer uh, feeling sorry for myself about how I uh, had to pull um, uh, totes of Paraquat with the pallet jack to the end of the trailer uphill. There's probably only about a two degree or one degree, whoever knows. But, but uh, you know, you start feeling sorry for yourself until you realize, hey, uh, that poor bastard with no legs, he's uh, he's got a little worse. Or or that uh, poor guy that's got to fly around the Caribbean uh, in a in an airplane with a two week two what <laughs> two weeks on two week off schedule, you know. <laughs> so uh, it, anyway, for Bruce, so I was talking to the old farmer out here, and they've got these uh, new tractors that have the the death and the, and the emissions on him. And so I told him about the max mileage, you know, and uh, he said he's got a, uh, his newest tractor's derating now, so he's got to have it towed all the way into Billings and and uh, <clears throat> to get worked on. I said, well, you got to try this stuff here. You know, it's not it's not uh, free, you know, $250. I imagine they run quite a, quite a bit through there. He's all like, well, and I don't know, Bruce, if you know this, but Apparently, John Deere has a, a bunch of, um, of uh, additives that, that they recommend or is almost mandatory that you put in the new tractors uh, when you fuel them up. So he just ends up, he's got a 9,000-gallon diesel tank and just pours, you know, the gallons and gallons in there to get whatever he needs. And I said, well, just try it on your one tractor after you get it, the, the depth cleaned out. But that's that's sort of probably an unrealized uh, um, market because he's not the only one. He said, yeah, everybody's having this problem, and this is in Montana. So I don't know what additive John Deere has them putting in there. Um, I'm pretty darn sure it's not a catalyst, though, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I can tell you it's not working because we get a lot of calls, people with new John Deere equipment, and they're very unhappy. 
and we're starting to get into that market. It's just okay. That okay. People that don't listen to this show or read our articles don't know us, and so they're all skeptical. No, right. And I, I said, hey, look at the reviews. It's you know, uh, it's really doing good for the over the road trucks. But um, you know, I don't know if maybe taking a little you know little ad out in these local papers because they still have the local papers up here in these uh, smaller towns. You know, I'm halfway between Mile City and and uh, Billings. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. That's just a, you know, I, it was probably a $35 ad. You know what I mean? So anyway, we have a, that was just my. Uh, we have about 148 dealers in North America. And I'd like some of our dealers, some of them are active and go to these farm shows and tractor pools and things. And But uh, the majority of them don't. And we need their help in getting the word out, especially to the farming community about the Max Mileage Catalyst. Yeah, and, and so is it better, it, so is it, what's, what's the best for you? Is it they buy it and you ship it from Pittsburgh Power, or if they, if they buy it from a, a, a local Catalyst dealer, because I'm sure you've got them in Montana, uh, what's, yeah. what makes you the most money? Well, it doesn't matter. It's a, we support our dealers, so we, we whether they buy it directly from us or buy it from our dealers, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you how I many mean, dealers you have I have. Dealer, you yeah. have your dealer list on your website. We even like it when you buy it from when you buy it from Kevin Rutherford. We like that. We like we look at his sales every week. So we like that. Everyone got it under the microscope. Uh, yeah, yeah. You might have to lose your we, dealer permit here we, real quick. Yeah, at IRA, at IRA, we have a company meeting every Wednesday, and we talk about Kevin Rutherford and his sales. So we like it when it goes up. We do too. So let's okay. see. Okay. Well, that yeah, Montana foresight. Look for foresight. Let me find Montana here. Ten T, right? Pardon me. Yes. N P. Mm-hmm. No. For, uh, well, it, um, there's a abbreviation for Mile City, City, but Foresight F F O. No, no, no. But I mean the abbreviation. Oh, M T Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Albertson and Missoula. That's it. We only have two. Montana Peterbilt. Montana. Yeah, Montana. Montana Peterbilt and Eleanor Logistics in Albertson. Okay. Okay. Well, that's nothing. Not, there's nothing within a couple hundred miles then. Um, okay. So get, uh, look. Call us with, look at people oh, in okay. your area and talk to them about it and have them call us and let's, let's get them set up as a dealer, especially the guys who are in the oh, farm I, areas. I, yeah. 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 I was, I was just delivering here. I don't live in, in Montana, but, uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll send him, uh, Kevin's website and, uh, uh Pittsburgh power. Let him choose. And uh, he can get it wherever he wants to. But uh, okay, that's 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 what I'll do next. All okay. right. But but I'm but I'm but but you know word of, word of mouth is going to go a long way up you know, with with these old boys. You know, sure it does. They put this stuff in there and and it, and, it, and it works. Um, it'll be God sent for everybody. There you go. Yep, it'll eliminate a lot of lawsuits going back to John Deere. Hey Bruce, I have a. Uh... I have a funny story about that abbreviation for Montana MT. Want to hear it? Yes. My first day in trucking. 
very first day. Um, I have no clue what I'm doing. It's an LTL operation. So all they did was hand me a stack of bills and I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't want to ask and look stupid because they just hired me. So I take it out in the yard and I'm on the dock and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm just looking through the stuff and I'm trying to figure it out. And I finally, I see a trailer number on there. I'm like, okay, I can go find that trailer. And I went and found it. And then I started matching up the bills and what's on there. Um, But I was taking a line haul run. uh, So then there was another trailer. I knew I was looking for two trailers. So I find a trailer number on there and I find the freight and it's all on there. The other trailer, there was no trailer number. It just had the initials MT. So I'm driving all around the yard looking for any trailer that has the letters MT on it. And I can't find any. None of them have those letters. So finally, I've got to go back up into the dispatch office like an idiot and ask why I can't find this trailer. And the dispatcher just looked at me and started laughing. MT was how we abbreviated an empty trailer. MT. (laughs) (laughs) So if it said MT, you were just looking for an empty. You just grabbed an empty and took it. It didn't matter which trailer. But that that was how we abbreviated (laughs) empty for trailers. MT. Wow. Wow. You know, and I worked the midnight shift at Motor Freight Express. I was midnight dock foreman. I was 19 and 20 and going to community college by day. I'd be so tired sometimes and I'd just be out checking trailers and, you know, there were no cell phones back then. And sometimes I'd see boxes and I'd just climb up there and take a little nap. (laughs) (laughs) It was brutal. That was a brutal couple of years. Yeah, it was. But, uh, I, you know, I spent nine years in dispatch and I forget which company I was with, but one of the owner operators uh, took his load and it said Portland and he goes to Portland, Maine Uh oh. <laughs> and, and he calls us and we said, you better look at that bill of lading, Portland, Oregon. That's a big mistake. <laughs> On his dime, he had to take him back down from Portland, Maine and drive all the way across to Portland, Oregon. So sometimes, you know, you look at stuff and you see the first word. And and have you seen the things I see them on Facebook? They'll take and make a paragraph, but the words, it's the right letters, but they're not in the right order. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's pretty pretty amazing how easy you can read that. Yeah. And so you stop and think how many times have you looked at something and as soon as you saw the first part, oh, you knew what that was. Right. But you needed to read the rest of it. Yeah. All right. Trying to think of what happened that recently just happened to me on something. It was something minor. It wasn't on wasn't on directions or anything. But yeah. All right. We're gonna grab another call. Let's go to Colorado. Rusty, welcome. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? So I haul a lot of jet fuel. The guy that called in with the jet fuel, Bruce, was exactly right on what to do. I burn it in my cat all the time. Oh, good. Glad to hear from somebody that's done it. And what do you mix with your... I put your Max Mileage and then Lucas, or I put some Hot Shot and added Mm -hmm. even it. Good. And also, it's just number one diesel that's filtered for your 
Do you mix it with diesel fuel? Yes, I do. So, okay. Diesel, what, JP4, right? Is that, you're saying that JP4 yes. is the same as number one diesel? Is that correct? Yeah. So, when okay. we load it at the refinery um, in the winter, it's, it comes out of the same tank. They just add the additives and electricity to it at the load heads. Got it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. We use number one so, all the time. Yeah. It's, you lose a little fuel mileage, but not too much. Well, and this it. is just, and you know, brought, it, it's just laying around. He wants to use it. So, it, it, like I said, I'm glad to hear from somebody who's done it, doesn't cause any issues in the engine. And if it's if it's either number one or that close to it, then, yeah, that's no big deal at all. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So, it works good. 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 Glad to hear it. All right. Thanks for the and call. That's and uh, that's going to do it. We're going to wrap this up for today. Anybody want to close with anything? Uh, you can always find answers. Whenever you call into this show, you can find answers. If uh, we can't answer them and Kevin can't answer them, another owner operator can answer them. So it's, uh, it's nice to know. All right. So, Bruce, I, you'll be uh, you'll be interested in this. We're just about done anyway. So uh, I've been in fact, I got a check today. It's not looking really good right now. The wind is doing nothing today. So I think uh, today is our last bad day. We might be getting some wind back tomorrow. So I'm going to be back out. I still, I think I've been out now five times, five good days. And there's probably one or two in there where I got in the water for a little bit. Um, five days of trying. And I, I go out for several hours till I'm just wore out. I just can't do it anymore. I still cannot figure out how to ride this foil. Wow. I talked to a guy the other day mm. that he was down there trying to figure it out, too. And I said, so what's the deal here? Because he looked like he had a lot of experience on the board, on the water. is really comfortable and he's fighting with this foil like I am. So I asked him and he said, yeah, I said, I kite board of water skied, wakeboard, all that stuff. Um, windsurfed. He, he's done all the wind sports on the water. He said, it's the foil. Nothing else. He said, nobody has any experience on a foil. It's brand new. And he said, that's the struggle. He said, you know, if you're good with the kite, that's great. If you, you know, are comfortable on the water and on the board, that helps. He said, but learning the foil is the challenge here. And I, I had an experience. I was, I just said, I'm going every day till I figure this out. Uh, no matter what the wind's doing, I'm just going to get out there. I'll get in the water. I'll get on the board. I'll practice something. So last week, uh, I forget what day it was, maybe Friday, Saturday, um, I decided to go and the app was saying the wind wasn't even that great. I got out there and just as I was getting out, the wind just picked up and it stayed. It's the best wind I've seen. Probably 20, 22 miles an hour steady. And it was the first time that I actually said, there's just too much damn wind. I really, I could have used a smaller wing. That The wind was so powerful that as soon as I would start to grab onto the wing, I'm still on my knees on the board. As soon as I would grab the back handle on the wing, it would pull so much power, the board would take off and start to come up on the foil before I was even standing up. 22 knot wind is a lot of wind. Boy, so when when you pull that wing into that, the water. yeah, 22 miles an hour, that's a, that is a lot of wind. What app do you use? Uh, it's called iWind Surf. Okay, it, different app than what we use. Yeah, it gives me real time 
um, all along the river, uh, all through the gorge. I've probably got 30 different places that I get live wind all day long. I can just look to see what it's doing. And then there's forecasts and uh, it's a good app. Like I said, you know, once once I figure this out, you can go almost any day you want. Like if you're serious about this, you're going to end up with three wings. A big one for those really light wind days, a middle, which is what I have now, a four and a half meter wing, uh, and then a small one, like a three meter wing for those really high wind days. And once you know what you're doing and you've got three wings, you could go virtually every day all summer. Right now, I've got a, you know, I can only go in the bay so I don't get blown down river. And um, I really don't want to go buy two more wings right now till I figure out what I'm doing. Uh, so I, it's just, uh, it's a little humbling that it's taking this long to learn. I'm looking uh, at your area right now on one of my winds and your, your wind is basically out of the Northeast. And today it's telling me that you're, oh, it looks like it's pretty strong today. No, no, you're purple. We're almost dead today. I mean, this this is unusual for us. You're dead. You're you're down around three knots of wind right now. Which is unheard of here. I mean, we've got a little bit of a heat wave. We're going to be in the 90s today. Um, So that does tend to kill our wind. When we start to come out of this is when we should get really good winds. So I'm thinking they were saying Wednesday might be doable. Thursday and Friday are supposed to be really good this week, so I'm looking forward to it. I, 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 I got to get this. It's making me crazy. Right out in the ocean, you have it coming from Alaska straight down, and it's right now at about 25 knots, but it's not coming inland. No. So let it, me just move this. Well, here's what you want. When, if you're going to wing foil on the ocean, you actually want a cross breeze. You want the breeze to be blowing across the beach, not onto it or away from it. The worst wind is an offshore that's blowing offshore because you're going to fight all day long not to get blown out. You're going to have to keep working your way back in. If it's an in onshore wind, then you have to fight all day long not to get keep getting blown back into the beach in the shallows. So for ocean, you actually want that cross breeze that allows you to go in and out really easily. Now, Thursday is not going to be good either. Uh, in the Let gorge, it's what, supposed to I, be. Well. But it could change. Changes okay. all the time. I do have another one. Yeah. If, you, if you want to okay. go look up this website, um, there's a woman, and I think she was a meteorologist. I don't think she actually works as one, but she's really active hiking and uh, mountain biking and windsurfing and all the other stuff we do in the gorge. And she has a website called The Gorge Is My Gym. I like that one. And she yeah. does a, a forecast every day. So I'm going to check hers right now. She just gives you a quick blurb on each day what's going to be happening. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, about the best we're going to get today is about 14 knots at Hood River. And that's if I had a bigger wing, like I have a four and a half meter, if I had a five and a half meter, probably or a six, yeah, probably a six meter, 14 would be enough. You'd be able to go today. Um, Wednesday looks like we might get up to uh, 16 to 19. 
right here in Stevenson. So that starts to get doable for me. Doesn't look like she's predicting Thursday yet. It looks like Wednesday might be, oh, Friday. Look at this. She is predicting later on in the week. Thursday, Dawn Patrol kicks off with 21 to 24 from Viento to the hatchery. Hold out a little bit for 24 to 27 from Stevenson to Mosier. That, now, see, that's ideal, except I'm not good enough to handle that much wind yet, and my wind, wing is too big. So I'm actually going to be looking to kind of hide from the wind a little bit on that day. Friday, it just looks like it's going to be cranking. We're going to be up to 31 miles an hour on Friday. That's a lot. That's too much. That's a lot of wind. That's yeah, a lot. Keep it out there. We don't want it over here on the East Coast. Well, we like it here because it's right in the gorge, and it's we play with it. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm going to take it easy today, get some work done, um, get caught up on stuff, and then I think I might just start hitting the water tomorrow. So I'll have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if I am not riding this foil by this weekend, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay. All right. Take care. Good luck. I got to get to work. All right. I do too. We will see you back here tomorrow. Do I have a guest tomorrow? For some reason, I think I do. Let me look real quick. Um, yes, we do. Um, I'm not going to tell you who it is, though, or what it is. This is a surprise. We're bringing a new product into the store. Very different. Uh, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tip anybody off. You'll have to wait till tomorrow to see what we'll be talking about. We'll see you then. Right. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.